This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Hey, winter in the Midwest, a snowy day here at Indianapolis Combine 2020 for the NFL. Day two for us here uh, in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine and caught up with some local Solomon Kinley, Georgia Bulldog offensive lineman, has had some conversations with the Jags. and He's a fun personality out of Reigns High School, another potential NFL player out of the Reigns Vikings football program. And this guy could be a really good one. He's a neat story, a fun story. Talk a little bit about him. Caught up with DJ Dallas Brunswick, a little hot area for NFL talent as well. Look at Darius Slay and several others on the Detroit Lions. Now DJ Dallas, the running back out of Miami, might be a a new uh, look on the NFL scene as well from that area. Uh, so we'll hear a little bit from those guys, but more from Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell as well, because we only got the part of the story yesterday. So much more coming up from the NFL Combine as it pertains to the Jaguars. And another Yannick Ngakwe tweet. Brent Martineau here in Indianapolis. Austin Lane, former Jags player, former Combine participant, current MMA fighter, has a fight coming up in just about nine days now. So the countdown is on. Hello, Austin. What's happening? Not too much, man. What's going on with you, Brent? Hey, uh, listen, I, I just uh, had a little lunch, and so we're out to lunch. I want to ask you, have you ever heard of this before? Because Stuart and I have not. Okay. So the waitress, uh, this is not us. This is at a different table. The waitress introduces herself, says, hi, uh, you know, I forget her name. But the people sitting there uh, look maybe like a husband and wife, but it was a man and woman. Maybe it was a business thing. I'm just assuming husband and wife. They introduce themselves to the waitress. Yep. Which I guess is not uh, <laughs> something that, like, I guess that's kind of appropriate when somebody introduces yeah. themselves to you. <laughs> but I don't think I've ever heard it done at a restaurant. Like, am I uh, out of my mind? Have you heard that before? I can't say that I've heard it from, like, people that I've been with. I have overheard it before as well. Um, but something that, like, my wife always does, and I don't say it's like a pet peeve, I mean, because it, it is what it is, but... Um, like so, for instance, say the waitress comes up to you and she's like, "Hey, my name's Karen. I'll be taking care of you today. Here are our specials, yada yada yada." And then to end it up, my wife will go, "Okay, thanks, Karen." So like, you know, she'll say her name, and like, yeah, I I can't do that. Like, I mean, and it's no disrespect to the the waiter or waitress. I just can't say like, you know, they're they're not friends. They're they're, they're someone, you know, I mean, that they have to get my food. They to come back, and obviously, I will I will tip them and take care of them. But like, I don't want to build a relationship with these people. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. Like, I guess it's not inappropriate. Maybe it's a new way. Maybe we should be doing that more. Maybe when I bring the kids and, and we go out for a family dinner, I should say, "Hey, Karen, this is the family. I'm Brent. That's Stephanie. That's <laughs> Kaylee and Tyler." Were you, were you guys getting shrimp cocktail again? <laughs> uh, no, we were. We uh, got like some uh, pasta, some spaghetti. Hey, pasta, man! Before. It's lunchtime. Let's let's get a little lighter, huh? The problem I have uh, is when that too I, heavy? I don't know. I'm the, just, I don't know. Whatever you want to do. The problem I have when I like meet someone is I'm so concerned about saying my name. I usually forget their name. You know what I mean? Like when I'm like oh, trying yeah. to say hi. So like that is my absolute nightmare. Yeah. Listen, you're not alone. It is. Uh, I'm terrible at it. We all should be better at it. And I respect the heck out of people that are great at it. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that should be taken lightly. If you're really good, like, I don't think it makes me a bad person or a bad worker or a bad whatever because I, I'm not good at it. But I do think, like, if you notice people that are really good at it, there's usually a level of success that comes with that person. 
I, I, that's what I've noticed. I, I don't know if it's a bl- that's kind of a blanket statement. Sure. But you know where I notice it a lot is the military. Like if uh, I've been around, like when people, when uh, maybe it's a general or some high-ranking officers in the military that have spoken to people or groups, and maybe I've emceed it. Yeah. And those folks are so good at that, and it's amazing. And you can then see that person like three weeks later, three months later, and they still remember you. It's a it's a good gift to have, and I think it's a gift of listening, probably. Of but course, it's uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. And I find at least the that, that's one example. But I find people that are really good at that usually are pretty successful. At least my view of well, them is that's a pretty successful person. And <laughs> I don't say you have to do that to be successful. Sure. At least I hope not because I'm not any good at it. Yeah. But uh, it is pretty wild that people that are good at that, that's a great trait to have in my opinion. That's what actually Jack Del Rio used to preach my rookie year where he made everybody learn everyone's names in the stadium. Not just like staff or coaches. I'm talking about like everybody in the offices, everybody in the lunch rooms like he would make everybody remember everybody's name and then um uh, you know like every once in a while yeah uh, he'd put a picture on the board and be like who's this person and then he'd call somebody come up there and you, you have to identify that person so um it was kind of a cool thing by you know from jack del rio's purpose just because you know it, it kind of shows that yes we are a football team but there's more people than just players in the stadium that make it go right there's the cooks there's the people in the office so i always thought it was kind of cool jack del rio to do that what a fantastic segue right there for you to say that. And that is cool of Jack to do that. I think that is important. That's a great thing from a somebody in charge to, to do that and say, hey, pass down, not just for football, but for life and all the rest. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And especially in a very entitled sport like being a professional athlete can be, you know? Yeah. So I think that's a very good thing to do. Do you, do you want to hear one quick, it's a crazy gr- story or not? Do we have time for a crazy yeah, story? Yeah, I do. I do. do, do oh, we got, we got right. all the time in the world, man. we got three hours. Speaking, We're here of, na- right. Let's go. Speaking of names, man, and like he, he he's not going to be mad at me for putting this out because he understands he messed up. Do you remember a kid by the name of Trevor? I think it was Trevor Harris. He was a backup quarterback. Um, he was an undrafted free agent. Didn't stick around that long. Ended up playing in Canada, if, if I believe right. Okay. But um, anyways, you know, he was like the third string guy, my rookie year. Anyway, so Trevor Harris was he was a great guy. I mean, he was a salt of the earth kind of dude, very laid back, very humble, comes from a great family. So he was a great guy. And I'll never forget one day. And like I said, you know, Jack Del Rio always preached us that we know everybody's names in the building. So one day we're sitting at our lunchroom, and this older gentleman was sitting across from us. And, you know, the, the, the guy had a Jaguars hat on. He had a Jaguars shirt. And Trevor, for whatever reason, I guess didn't recognize the guy sitting across from us. I knew right away who it was, and I'll get to that in a second. So Trevor and I are talking to this gentleman, and all of a sudden Trevor goes, Hey, so are, are you a big Jaguars fan? I see you rocking the hat and the shirt. And the guy's like, Yeah, I guess you can say I'm a pretty big Jaguars fan. And then Trevor's like, oh, hey, well, let's say, okay, so, you know, he introduced himself, I'm, I'm, I'm third-string quarterback, whatever, like that. And the guy goes, yeah, my name's Wayne Weaver, nice to meet you. Ended up being <laughs> the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars sitting across from us, and Trevor had no idea who it was. And keep in mind, I forgot who the quarterback's coach was, but the quarterback's coach was sitting behind uh, at the next table. So we all get up and leave, the quarterback coach comes up to Trevor's like, dude, what are you doing? You know, and, and I'm obviously saying it in a very kind way. Uh, he, he had a few more choice words. But, yeah, man, shout out to Trevor not recognizing the owner, even knowing his name. That is fantastic. That's yeah. a great story. Uh, you might want to know who the owner is. Exactly. Uh, good idea, even if you're there just for a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, but, anyway, it's a great segue in general because 
around here yesterday, I was talking to Doug Marone, and I asked him a question on the podium uh, where he kind of took it a different direction than I really was intending. Like My question was about personnel. And he seems like he's more involved in that, and will he be? Uh, because he always had said, hey, that's Tom Coughlin, that's Dave Caldwell, that's the other side of the building, and I just coach him up. And again, I think I said yesterday, I don't know if I believe that he was never involved, but that was at least the perception of it, and that's kind of how he wanted to be put out there. So when I asked him about it yesterday, he took it in a little bit different direction, and he talked about communication. He really took it from a communication standpoint with scouts and with the general manager, but then it started going all over to the, the entire building. And one thing he has done, if you've seen the Jaguars.com uh, new series that they're doing, they took you inside like a staff meeting yep. with uh, Doug Marone, mm-hmm. and it, it, it showed that he was from the mailroom to the, the guys that do the turf to the equipment room to anywhere in the building, uh, like you said, chefs and, and everyone else, uh, he was involving them in the process, involving them in this is their team too. This isn't just us, and then you guys do everything on the business side. So he really is going out of his way to make that happen. I think that little uh, mini-series that the Jaguars are doing on Jaguars.com showcased that. But it's something he said, and he told me actually when after the press conference on December 31st, I walked down the hall with him a little bit, was asking him some things, and he said that. He said he wanted to open up the communication in the building. And what is that in stark contrast to? Well, it's in stark contrast to Tom Coughlin. Uh, and, and by the way, these are styles. This isn't a knock on TC. This is just a different style, different approach. And it's something that I think Marone, at least from watching and observing and asking around, kind of noticed and said, hey, you know what? We're going to open this thing up. Uh, the, the walls, he even put it in, in the, on the podium in his uh, quote. He said, listen, there's a lot of walls in there. There's, there's not a lot of open space in this old building at JAG's headquarters. Well, we have to knock down those walls to a degree, and you have to knock it down with communication. Mm. So I thought it was interesting, and that will go along to play – a uh, storyline that I want to have today here on the show, not right next, but coming up in a little bit, is that is the energy in the building versus that outside the building. We know it's super negative in Jacksonville right now. Everything is super negative when you mention the Jaguars. But inside the building, there's a feeling that there is an energy, an energy of positivity, an energy that, hey, we like what's going on here. We, we, we think we can win in 2020. We are going to turn this around. I want to ask you a little bit, Austin, how hard that is to do because you've played in Jacksonville. You also played a little bit in Detroit. You played Chicago. You know, those are places where they weren't having a ton of success when you were there. Correct. And so how difficult is that to do and block out the noise in reality? People say they block out the noise. But how do you keep that feeling of positivity, especially in an offseason when you don't even have a, a loss yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I thought uh, Doug Marone did a pretty good job of explaining that and talking about that. We'll hear from him on that part of it, and I want to get your thoughts as well. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Jay Gruden, the new offensive coordinator, we're going to catch up with some folks from Washington, D.C. They might know Jay Gruden well, and they think it's a good hire for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Talk more about Jay Gruden, the new offensive coordinator of the Jacksonville Jaguars. How does he fit in with Gardner Minshew or Nick Foles? Or Doug Marone, <laughs> or all three. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Coming up, live from the NFL Combine, here on a Wednesday, Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. On the road once again, as always, you're always invited to the conversation on social media, or give us a buzz, 904-362-9901. Sports Jacks with Brent Martineau on ESPN 690 is brought to you by Best Bet Jacksonville and Orange Park. 
Hey, welcome back to Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We're live at the NFL Combine, uh, day two for us. Brent Morton here, Austin Lane, back in the Action Sports Shacks studios. And right now we are glad to be joined by J.P. Finley of NBC Sports and Redskins Podcast. The Redskins What's Talk Podcast. That's Redskins right, yeah. Talk Podcast. Uh, and here, here's the deal. They're right at the table right next to us. And then we got thinking. Like right there. Yeah, look, right there. Literally, like you had to just roll your chair over yeah. there. But... Uh, <laughs> We got thinking, we're like, hey, these guys have been covering Jay Gruden for the last handful of years. Let's learn a little bit about Jay Gruden and the, the thing that we've talked about and everybody that says, hey, Jay Gruden, you're going to love him. You're going to love him. Super guy. Why is that? I mean, we know John, but we don't know Jay as much in that respect. Yeah. So especially as your offensive coordinator, right, because the the asks or the demands of your OC are just that the offense moves the ball and, and hopefully scores. Um, and, and Jay has a pretty long track record of doing that at least having um viable offense especially you know when kirk cousins when when jay was paired with kirk cousins in dc i think kirk had three straight seasons with at least four thousand yards passing um the offense was dynamic especially when they had some good receivers with deshaun jackson and, and pierre garçon and, and that Jaguars offense is pretty boring, right? I'm not uh, trying to throw shots at anybody. Hey, but you don't have to throw shots. We've been watching it for a dozen years. <laughs> right. I think <laughs> it, you may get to a situation where you long for running the ball a little bit more. Um, that's probably not Jay's strength. They're, they're going to air it out. Um, but why I think you guys are going to love Jay, especially working in media as a radio guy, is he's funny. He's When he wants to be, he's hysterical. And... I wonder if he might dial some of that back in his, you know, now in his second version of going back to being a coordinator. Um, because maybe things got away from him in D.C., that things became too fun, or whether or not that was real, that became the perception. And, and maybe he'll want to be perceived differently in a, in a new start. But knowing Jay a little bit, the one liners are just going to come quickly. And you'll see it. I guess he'll only have. Once a once a week interviews with the yeah, offense coordinator, do, right? Uh, coordinator once a week. But I think fans will start to like him. He's just he's a funny guy, and uh, he's a good-hearted person. The situation in, with the Redskins is just fairly toxic there at the end, and you know they got off to a really bad start. And I think Bruce Allen tried to make Jay Gruden his fall guy when everybody knows those problems were bigger than Jay Gruden. And, uh, you know, eventually the Redskins decided to clean house on their own. But ask around the league about Jay's reputation as an offensive guy, and it's top-notch. Yeah, and I think that's what Doug Marone looked at here is more so what he did with Andy Dalton. Sure. You know, back in the Cincinnati days before he got the Redskins uh, head coaching job. J.P. Finley uh, covers the Redskins with us here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We're getting into Jay Gruden a little bit. You mentioned a word fun, which is really interesting, Austin, as you listen back there, because we know the last three years with Tom Coughlin, the word fun doesn't yeah, go together. Absolutely no not. And, and listen, and players... Like they kind of hated that, it, right? right? Now, yeah. when you're winning, it's okay. But when you're losing, it's not. So to hear fun, to hear the loosen up of that building a little bit might not be a bad thing. We talked about yesterday on the show, hey, if you were to brand the Jaguars, if they were to have an identity. Now, Austin's a big run first, stop the run guy, and, and that's okay. And that's fine. That wins, too. I'm almost like, hey, you got Gardner Minshew, and that's who I think they're going to end up riding with. The partnership between Gardner Minshew, that relationship, and Jay Gruden could be fun. They're fun oh, guys, yeah. and therefore maybe just let it fly a little bit might be a new look for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've tried these other things on offense. It hasn't worked. This might be the first time they've got a couple of guys that might feel like 
a little wild, wild west. Sure. And and if you can be successful doing that, that would be a heck of a lot of fun in Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think Jay will go with Gardner. Um, I actually I met Gardner at an event at the Super Bowl and, and kind of told him I think you're really going to like working with Jay. And he said they'd already talked and. Uh, you know, I, I think that's good news for both parties. I know the Foles deal, he's going to be at least around another year just because yeah. of the money in that thing, right? But I, I'll, I'll say this about Gruden working with Kirk Cousins, and Kirk is not a let-it-fly kind of guy. Kirk is a clinical technician type that, that wants to process every option, whereas Gardner seems more instinctual and... and you know, the, the cliche is the gunslinger or whatever you yeah. want to say. Um, there was a back and forth that Jay and Kirk had via the media, jeez, I mean, probably like four years ago now. But uh, Kirk said something, because Kirk missed a couple deep shots, and Jay said something in the post game about, hey, yeah, you know, we probably had a couple scores there that we didn't get. So then Kirk talks later in the week and is like, yeah, you know, if I threw the ball every time Jay wants me to, I'd probably have 20 interceptions. And then he, <laughs> Jay the next day responded, he's like, yeah, but he probably have 65 touchdowns. <laughs> so it's just like, it's a mindset of being aggressive and, and looking for scoring chances, and I think Gardner matches with that. The crazy part is, Foles has been that dude at times. He really has too, I, yeah. I mean, it, with Peterson. Peterson's kind of like yeah, that, too, you know. Nick's career is one of the all-time weird ones, I think. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, Austin, let's bring you in here. I know you yes, probably sir. have some, uh, some questions for, for JP. But you know I it do. is interesting to see the style of Jay Gruden. And how. And we said it right away, right? When they hired Jay Gruden, we loved the fit. And that's not a knock on Nick Foles, but it certainly seems to fit better with Minshew and Jay Gruden. So, yeah, it's a couple questions for you here, JP, about Jay Gruden. Obviously, because, I mean, I've had Jordan Reed, it seems like, for the past decade on my fantasy football team, much to my dismay, <laughs> but um, sure. I, uh, I guess I was just that stubborn. But you know, kind of breaking down, you know, the the old Gruden uh, Washington Redskins offense, I kind of noticed a couple things. Number one, Gruden loves to spread the ball out a lot, and I think with these Jacksonville Jaguars receivers, whether it's Chris Conley, whether it's D.D. Westbrook, or, or the you know the past Pro Bowler now D.J. Chark, I think they have the wide receivers to make Gruden a very happy man because while you know D.J. Chark might be the the top receiver now that prototypical one receiver, I feel like all the receivers can kind of contribute a little bit and that's what Jay Gruden likes. So is that kind of a good observation from the wide receiver standpoint that Gruden probably likes these guys coming in? For sure. I, absolutely. I mean, in forgive me for not remembering all my years here. I think it was 2017, Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon both went for over a 1,000 yards. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't happen all that often, nope. especially in an offense that wasn't that explosive. Yeah, not um, talking 35 a game. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's he's he wants to spread it around. He's going to throw the ball to his running backs too. He likes getting the screen game working. And forgive me, I don't know the tight end situation in Jacksonville. Uh, you don't. You don't need to know it. Just <laughs> circle a big nothing. <laughs> right. Like I, you and me and maybe Austin. Austin probably be the best one, even the defensive guy. But he probably could still. They have nobody. I mean, they, I think they, I bet he'll if he gets to, he'll try to add there for yeah. sure. They have and, Josh Oliver, but he was hurt all last year, so we don't know. But, yeah, they need to make it a focal point. But, you know, I, I, when I said that Jay's not going to run the ball, I mean as much as they were running the yeah, ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, Jay still runs the ball. And as he progressed as the Redskins coach, especially in 2018 when they had Alex Smith before that leg injury, they were trying to be a power-running, grind-the-clock field position team. Part, I don't think Jay Gruden loved that, but he, he he saw the personnel he had and was just trying to win games, and that was the, the path to them winning games. 
I think if he has Gardner and, you know, the, the wideouts you mentioned, there's some speed there. I mean, mm-hmm. D.D. Westbrook is that small, speedy, all-over-the-field guy. You can do a lot of things with him. Do, I, I, can he, I, do they have him play in the slot much? I, yeah, they move all their guys around. To be I honest think. With you. I mean, now DJ Chark's pretty much on the outside. And, sure, and, and he but should they've, be. They've done a lot of yes. But Westbrook if, can play. And he'll be the guy in motion. All those things. Look at what Jamison Crowder was doing when things were going well for the Redskins. Because that year I just mentioned with Deshaun and Pierre, Crowder was the leading receiver through about week ten, hmm. and it was just good for seven catches, eighty-five yards a game. You could almost pencil it in. And then it's my understanding that Pierre and Deshaun started getting very angry they weren't getting the ball because they were in free agent years and all sorts of other stuff was going on. But they they started getting the ball more. I, I think a guy like Westbrook in a role like that, I, I think Westbrook might be the more explosive athlete there. I don't know his route running stuff. But, you know, you mentioned the fantasy stuff with Jordan Reed. I'd be excited about that kind of matchup with Jay because what he loves to do is – create those mismatches on the outsides and, and then have somebody else just sit down in, in, a, in a little zone where the ideally his quarterback will just take what's there, and, and I think that could really work out. Austin, jump in again uh, so we can let J.P. go. Uh, I don't want to keep him too long, but jump in. Well, and J.P., and then you kind of touched a little bit on the biggest question I was going to ask you, and it's a question that Jaguars fans, we haven't really seen a lot of, it seems like, the past decade. And that's the screen game. Um, you know, in Washington, whether it was Chris Thompson, Adrian Peterson, uh, even Darius Geis, like it didn't matter who was in the backfield for the Redskins. It seemed like the screen game was always set up for them, right? Well, in Jacksonville, the screen game has been non-existent for the past decade. I, I, I can maybe count mm-hmm. on one hand how many times I've actually seen a, a screen ran properly. Uh, I guess my question is, was that more of just a personnel thing in Washington, or is that what Gruden believes in? Like, Do you, do you foresee Gruden bringing the screen game here to Jacksonville. 100%. It's something he believes in. He's a big believer in misdirection, and even if the misdirection isn't in play, it's making a defender consider it or making a safety take a a half-second pause. And, I I mean, I would argue that Chris Thompson was maybe Jay's favorite player in Washington. I I wouldn't be shocked if he tries to get Chris Thompson. I mean, he's going to be – he's a free agent. I don't think he's part of the Redskins' plans – Chris is a fantastic blocker, which people don't give him credit for because he's a small guy. He's from Tallahassee, or yeah. right somewhere up there. No, he's a Seminole. Seminole guy. I, I don't know where he's from, but I, I believe he's from Northern Florida. I, I don't know the free agent situation in Jacksonville, but Jay and Chris have a very tight bond. That one wouldn't shock me in the slightest. Yeah, that's and, good. And good I think call. the screen game will definitely be a part. Well, of that. that's a good call too, Austin, because uh, Marquise Lee. Who you know is, is could be a cap casualty. Yeah. Now we'll see how much uh, that uh, the Jaguars will um, you know will have to spend on a guy like Chris Thompson. That's a great call well, because guys like to bring in their favorites. I mean, look what just happened, right? DeFilippo mm-hmm. and Foles they connected, and when you're comfortable with a guy, you do that. Well, and and to get back to JP's point here, Chris Thompson is indeed from Greenville, Florida. So wherever that is, where in, the heck is that? Uh, it's it's in. <laughs> he told me it's Madison a really County. small town, Madison oh, County, Ma- Florida. Oh, that's, Madison, that's right next Eight, to Madison County. All right. Eight hundred and forty-three people in that town. That's that's insane. Did he go by to the way. Manco? Did he did he go to Madison County High School? I have. You guys yeah. should look up. Assuming it's on YouTube, his high school highlights. I, I'm guessing this is a pretty rural area he's from. He told us stories one year playing Pop Warner. I think in middle school. He didn't get tackled all year. 
Like the whole season, he didn't get tackled. <laughs> well, Think about that. I mean, he's insanely quick. If he can put together a full season. So in 2017, he was having a Pro Bowl year. He was on track to a probably a 1,200-yard total yardage season between passing and, and running, and he broke his leg in New Orleans. But he was fantastic that year, and uh, it's not going to cost you much. I mean, I don't know the running backs down there, but Leonard Fournette ain't your screen guy, right? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, he, he caught 80 passes this year. His, I mean, he, but he's not really what you would think. dump-offs? Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think he – well, listen, they don't run screens. I mean, they really don't. They haven't. Austin's not wrong. They haven't. I've been there That's 12 crazy. years, and they haven't been able to do it. They don't defend it well. They don't run it well, quite frankly, if you look at the last – well, they don't do it a lot well, really, if you look at their record last <laughs> I mean, look years. at the skins. But, yeah. uh, they don't either. But, but you know, he can catch out of the backfield. But I think in terms of your, your change of pace back, that quick move guy, no, Fournette's not that. That's another – hole the Jaguars have to fill. They have to find that guy. Sure. That's that change of pace that would be utilized in that part of the game. Well, and listen, yeah. and, and, and I've been a big advocate for that change of pace back, you know, and last year in the draft, I don't think the Jaguars really addressed that problem and, you know, to, to kind of echo JP's point a little bit, you talk about a guy like Chris Thompson where I, I, I get him, man, he's almost a pro bowler, but to me, it's almost like the Tevin Coleman effect a little bit. Like when, when Freeman goes down in Atlanta and Tevin Coleman takes over, everyone's like, oh, this is Tevin Coleman's team now. But Tevin Coleman was built to be that third down back, right? And he kind of had some you know, struggles up front. And I think Chris Thompson's the same thing where I get it, man. He, he's a very talented back, but I, I want him as a third down back, all right? I want him coming on third downs. For sure. You should be limiting his game. touches, exactly. all that stuff. And I think in Jacksonville, I think he'd be the perfect fit. It would be a little bit of like a thunder and lightning package with Leonard. So I I think it would be a match made in heaven, but once again has to come at the right, the right price tag. I mean, if I had to guess what a Thompson deal is going to be like, I, I don't mean this dismissive because Chris is a great dude and I know him fairly well, but the running back market is tough for the best guys on the market, let alone a guy that has dealt with a number of injuries the last few years. I mean, I don't think you're breaking the bank. I, I imagine... He would love to play with Jay and and the money. I mean, what are we talking about? A two-year nine mil? And yeah, guarantee. And, and that's what I was talking about. You, you're open when you make decisions like Marquis Lee getting cut and things like that. You open up dollars for those kind right. of guys. I mean, Marquis Lee's only a six million dollar guy, so it's not like there's a ton. But uh, but Isn't you open up moves like six that. million. Yeah, I know. Like, like, it's so <laughs> I would love six mil. Well, the Jaguars too. I mean, they have to shave some of that, right. but they also have to add. And so do you spend those kind of dollars and put it in a position like this where you can use them in both ways, running back and, and a receiver in the screen game or something? Here's like my that. question for you guys is what country club is Jay going to join? He's a golfer, man. Well, you got plenty of them in yeah. Jacksonville. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, he actually, I saw an interview that he did with Jaguars.com. He said he found out on the sixth hole that he Doug Marone had sure. called him. So yeah. that's kind of how he, this hole started in Jacksonville. I met up with him um, after you know he got fired in Washington like a couple of weeks later and and I was like, so how good is your golf game now? He's like, it stinks because I'm just thinking too much. I got too much time on my hands. I'm not just going out there playing. So it'll probably be good for him to move down there and be able to play year round. I like the personality. I really do. I like what you said about that fun because that Minshew's a fun guy. I mean, you saw that. Now can he play? All those things we don't know. But the personality part. This team could use some personality on offense. 
last couple years they've had the personality on defense. Well, that's been recycled. Jalen Ramsey's gone. They might have to cut uh, Calais Campbell. Marcel Darius is out. So they can shift some of that personality to the offense, have some an identity, and Jay Gruden can help build that there. For sure. You guys have a uh, – listen, a lot of people thought Marone was going to be fired and Ron Rivera would be a potential candidate in Jacksonville. You guys got him in Washington. Are they excited about this reset? Uh, not only that, with a, another Jacksonville guy, Jack Del Rio, for sure, uh, as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, th- there's real excitement in Washington and about Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio and everything. But for Redskins fans, the the the, the big news was the removal of Bruce Allen. That that was something. I mean, every Sunday it was trending on Twitter. That was mm-hmm. fire Bruce Allen was the hashtag. I mean, the the organization was just so misled under his tenure um and and i think that was the big step and then you know hiring ron especially you know the ownership deserves credit for getting everything done fast and they had their staff assembled fast and and a lot of these other spots it was dragging on and lots of interviews and we, we just spoke with ron today what's crazy is when you ask around the league you, you, there's not a negative word about that guy. Say he's and, a great man. Yeah, and in and, and my interactions with him so far, it's, it's been that way. So it's, uh, you know, Ron even says this. It's the honeymoon phase now. Nobody's thrown an interception or lost a game. So Redskins fans are very excited. Yeah, it's sure. a little stabilizer, it seems like. And, and Washington needed some of it. And, and by I, the way, to your point, moving fast, I think Jason Garrett still might be right. on the Cowboys. Yeah. Have they fired him yet? I don't know. That, that was wacky. Am I crazy? <laughs> When I saw Jay take the Jacksonville, and you just said Doug Marone was maybe you know on on shaky ground. Am I if they're three and six, and Marone's out, and Jay becomes head coach? Is that insane to think? No, it's Absolutely not at all. Not. In fact, that's what Austin. That's what we've talked about. That's what people have pieced together. I believe, though, I will say after all this, that if something goes wrong in Jacksonville, it's going to be a clean sweep. Now, sure. if you get him on interim basis, but Maybe Marone, keep in mind, Marone interim for Gus Bradley the last two games, then end up getting the job. Yeah. So, to your point, yes, it's feasible. You never know what. And happens, Ben McAdoo's right. another guy now. He's the QB coach that they brought down there, so he also has experience. That's funny, yeah. But no doubt, I, I think you're exactly though. You can add that up. What I don't know is if do guys think about that. Do guys think, hey, I want to just go be successful, but I also might have this chance, and I would say I'm being naive if I say they don't think about that, uh, but i got to believe if they don't do well, they're all going to be gone. That's going to be your first notion. Everybody knows it's a results business. Nobody's surprised, but certainly because this isn't a situation where I don't. I haven't researched this, but I don't know that Jay and Doug Marone have known each other a long, you know what I mean? Yeah, they, they're not like point. college roommates or yep. something. Like, I think he sees an opening. It's a good fit. He probably likes Gardner a lot and some of those young wideouts, like you mentioned. You can't take a job gunning to take over it, but I, I think it's probably a consideration, right? Yeah. I, I mean, if, if I take another TV job, you take another radio job, you want to know what growth potential there is just Absolutely. kind of human nature yeah and uh, no, it's a good point and Jay Gruden could be because of the Bruce Allen stuff because of how that all went down and everything you couldn't almost be successful in Washington for a while that he's going to land on his feet again maybe it's just after this year for sure and so I also think he was bored and wanted to be coaching I, I, I Jay, he's a football lifer his what he missed like six weeks <laughs> right I mean I, I know he was grinding film while he was fired yeah. you know what I mean so I think he just wanted a job um and we'll kind of see what happens. The, the, the funny thing that happens in Washington is that most coaches and execs kind of get a pass for their time in D.C. because everybody understands that 
There has been systemic failure within the organization. And I think Jay's reputation around the league is probably still pretty strong. Yeah, I agree with what you just said there. I think that's exactly right. Uh, JP, systemic uh, failure is a good way to uh, put it. A quick question I had, because, you know, talking about the, the, the failure of the Washington Redskins and everything, and a story that I've been talking about kind of the past year kind of goes underneath the rug a little bit, but with Trent Williams. I mean, what's, what's the latest on Trent Williams? Is he coming back to play? Is he done? Have you heard anything? Yeah, I mean, that whole situation is a zoo, dude. Frankly, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, he sat out all of 2019 and and gave up $12 million. That, that's a boatload of cash. And his lo- his reasons were kind of three-pronged. Um, he had a cancerous, cancerous growth on his scalp. He didn't feel like the team medical staff properly diagnosed him or guided him through that. Um, he had to get that dealt with himself. And once he returned healthy from that, he didn't trust the Redskins medical staff, and he didn't trust Bruce Allen. So those two things have been removed. Ron Rivera's in charge. Bruce Allen's probably in Southern California playing golf, and they've overhauled the medical staff. Um, everybody, Ron Rivera brought his guy, uh, Vermillion, up from Charlotte to be the Skins boss now. Um the only thing still, the only hurdle still remaining is money, and that's a big hurdle because Trent Williams is in the final year of his deal. It'll pay him about 13 million bucks, but none of it's guaranteed. Um, this team saw Ruben Foster go down in OTAs last year, and there's a bad injury history in Washington. And yeah. Ron's working to change that mindset of players, but it still exists. I, if I had to guess, Trent wants not just guaranteed money this year, but maybe an extension. Um, and I don't know that the Skins are going to do that. Yeah. And so Ron Rivera and Kyle Smith, who's the new de facto GM in Washington, have been clear. We expect all of our players under contract to report April 6th for OTAs. I don't know that Trent's going to show up. This is now about money. So at least the okay. distrust and the anger has gone away. But money's still a very big deal. So. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, it's a big deal, and and he's had a fantastic career. But with the, where they are in kind of a rebuild, if you will, I don't know how how scrapped down rebuild. You got to wonder with a veteran guy like that with those kind of dollars if it's worth extending him and keeping him around. And I think that will be the first real sign of what Ron thinks of his roster. If he thinks we got to tear it down, then maybe you look at trading Trent. Yeah. And, let his agent talk to teams and work out an extension, and, and then we can try to work out a trade. If you think this team can compete in a wacky NFC East that just fired three of his co I mean, the NFC East is there for the taking, right? Everybody thought the Eagles would run away with it, but they kind of fell back to the pack. It also seems like there could be a third wild card team mm-hmm. coming in. If you're Ron Rivera, maybe you think, hey, this defense is pretty good. We can use Trent. And so I, that, that, to me, will be a very big tell if 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 it is a real read because Ron is kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth saying it's going to take us 3 to 5 years to build this culture that's what my military background tells me but we're we're in it to win and we're competing right away so which one is it? yeah it's kind of got to be one or the other but he's 
trying to ride the lightning and, and do both. Yeah, some of the roster moves will dictate that, no doubt about it. J.P. Finley from NBC Sports covers the Redskins, Redskins Talk Podcast. Yes, sir. Check it out. Uh, thanks, man, for jumping in. Jay Gruden, talk uh, really good. I think the fans uh, in Jacksonville You're will love some him. of that. He's hysterical. Tell him I say hi. Uh, we'll do it. Hopefully uh, on the golf course. Yeah, well, thank you for this water that I stole from <laughs> you. Sorry right, about no that. No problem. Uh, CGC Water. See that? Uh, Connecticut, official water yeah, this of Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Take it home with you. Spread the word. Uh, J.P. Finley. We'll come back and talk more about the Jags. You know, Trent Williams is a big topic up there. But here, the veteran guys, A.J. Boye, Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe. What if two of three or all three ended up out of Jacksonville? Holy cow. Can you even envision that situation? Uh, We'll discuss it. We'll hear from Dave Caldwell when I asked him about that. Coming up, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. If we do happen to not have one of them or two of them or three of them, we got to replace them somehow. Uh, we have some young guys that we think can, can step up, and Josh Allen, and we got Miles here who took on some leadership roles last year, uh, Ronnie Harrison and, and Jared Wilson, and those guys are, are, are good leaders. So um, I think if you're a good player and you produce, you have the ability to be a good leader. And um, I think we have some young guys that can take on that role. Obviously, guys that we bring in, those are some of the traits we'll look for too uh, to add to the guys we have here. That's Jaguars general manager Dave Caldwell this week at the NFL Combine. When I asked him if, or what if, the Jaguars were to lose one, two, or three of A.J. Boye, Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe this offseason, how would that change the dynamic of their locker room from a leadership standpoint, the trickle-down effect, the domino effect that that could have on this franchise in 2020, which I think it could be huge. And I don't know if I'm overplaying that, but I do think, listen, A.J. Boye might be the cost of doing business. A.J. Boye and Calais Campbell, you're taking out two veteran guys that have produced that could be key parts of that locker room with a lot of young talent still in that room. And then you throw Yannick Ngakwe somewhere in there. And I think that's the X factor because I don't believe you're going to lose a Yannick Ngakwe. I think you'll franchise tag him. But the whole situation almost feels like it could have a negative impact on the Jags' locker room potentially to go along with, uh, you know, if the Jaguars were to release Calais and, and A.J. Boye. So a lot happening there. Brett Martineau. Here at the NFL Combine, a lot happening here, too. Occasionally, you'll hear a bunch of noise because they're doing the bench press now. Oh, okay. And that is underway. So uh, how many times did you bench again, Austin uh, Lane, back in the Action Sports Jack Studios? Didn't bench at the Combine, but I'm at Pro Day. Uh, bench pressed uh, 225, 20 times, and also probably ingested about five scoops of Jack 3D. That's right. That's where their hamstring injury came. It was all because of the bench press? Uh, no, it wasn't because of the bench press, but I'm just saying Jack 3D was very prevalent even in my pro day slash combine days, and then I carried that on to the NFL until it got outlawed. All right. Uh, hey, back to the Jags, and I want to get your thoughts on those three guys. And also uh, a few things that we just finished up with J.P. Finley about. He was very high on Jay Gruden and also linked Gruden to Gardner Minshew as the quarterback. So uh, we'll talk about it in just a bit. But right now we're joined by one of the GOATs. He, no, yeah. he, he, he is the GOAT, first of all. No, no, no. He is the GOAT of his sport. I okay. said one of the GOATs. Okay. There's GOATs in every sport. And Ricky Carmichael is the GOAT <laughs> in Supercross. Yes, and yes. he joins us. He joined us last year. We had a lot of fun with him. We're bringing him back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Ricky, what's happening, man? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. You guys good? 
Yeah, we're all good. And then just to set the scene, we're all over the place. I'm at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Austin is in the studios in Jacksonville. And uh, we appreciate you taking a couple minutes. But I had this question for you, way outside the Supercross realm. If there was to be a Combine for Supercross riders, what would you have to include? Or is there something of that sort when you're recruiting a guy to ride? Yeah, so there's no, there's definitely no combine. Uh, but, yeah, we watch these young kids uh, pretty much every weekend as they're racing or at their local practice track. So we kind of have an idea of, you know, what they're about and what their ability is. So, yeah, we get to watch these guys progress throughout. Shoot, man, since they were probably six or seven years old to where they are now. Austin Lane here. Ricky, it's great to talk to you again. Obviously... A, f- a former, you know, goat in terms of Supercross. Now you're the goat of course designing. I guess one could say, fit the years in Daytona. And actually, uh, I saw you post a picture a few days ago about you know you're getting the course ready in Daytona and everything. And you mentioned since it was the 50th year, you have something that's special in mind. And you mentioned that you're going to throw some throwback elements. I always watch the race in Daytona. My question to you, and please tell me the truth: Are you going to have the over the wall jump this year, and also possibly the tunnel jump as well? Dude, uh, you ha, you've you've, uh, you've done your homework. We're having like if you just guess that, you've done a really good job of guessing because those two elements, yes, we are having those two exact elements. I love it. I love yes. it, man. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yes. That's fantastic. And, and then, like I said, you know, I mean, every once in a while, I, I try to watch the races as much as I can. I, I grew up being a big fan of yours and other riders as well. And, you know, the, this past week in Arlington, I, I got to watch a little bit of it. Um, obviously, a few injuries happened, you know, and, yeah. and some of the riders wanted to say it was because of the dragon back. Others were saying it was yeah. more due to the traction. I mean, where, where does it come in here? Is it more of the traction kind of thing? Because, I mean, guys have ridden dragon backs before. So was it more of just the dirt and the traction? What actually happened in Arlington? Yeah, I just think honestly, those guys are just going so fast, and they are just they're just risking it, and the risk is so high. And if one little miscue happens, you know, it, it could be it could be bad. And that's that's what I, in my opinion, that's what you saw. Yeah, the guys were complaining about the dragon back, and they think it should have been made a different way. And there's probably there's there's some truth to that, but. If you know that it's a problem spot, then you just, you know, there's there's still that human element part that comes to where you, you know, if you know it's gnarly and it's probably not built the way that it should be, well, then you got to take a step back, you know, and not be so aggressive on that section. Now, that probably sounds harsh for me to say that, but that's that's a fact. You have to adapt to what the track is, and you have to assume the risk. So. Yes, there was a lot of complaints about it, but at the same time, you gotta, you know, you gotta do your best to forecast what it, what that track or that condition is going to be like. Well, and, and a quick little follow-up, too, from Arlington. You know, e- Eli Tomac, it's kind of the same story from every single year. He stout, starts out very strong. He was rocking the red plate, and the red plate's always kind of been like, you know, his, his, uh, his, Achilles heel, I guess we'll call it. You know, yeah. and this time it's in Arlington, be yeah, another good there, one. there we go. His kryptonite, <laughs> even better, man. And so he's rocking the red plate in Arlington, man. And it didn't matter where he was starting from. If he got off to a slow start, the dude was doing his thing. Is this a new and improved Eli Tomac this year? Yeah. I mean, has he kind of found you know whatever it is to kind of put him over the edge now? Yeah, I, I believe he has. Uh, and the reason is he, he's not making the mistakes that he has in the past. I don't feel like he's phased by the red plate quite as much as he was in past. And, you know, a rider of his caliber, that's what they need to do. They've got to take 
uh, and learn from the mistakes that they've made in years past and not make those same mistakes again. And he has certainly answered the bell this year. And uh, I, 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 I am going to go on record. I feel, I feel like he's got what it takes to bring this thing down to the final race and uh, possibly get his first Supercross championship. Ricky Carmichael with us, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Only got another minute, but uh, 50th running of the Daytona Supercross. And by the way, Austin Lane and I have been doing this show for like a year. One, you were his favorite interview, I think, of our first year of the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the only way we could top it is if we have like Casey Musgraves on instead. Uh, two, <laughs> I'm also like he's a former NFL guy. He, he fights now. He's got a fight coming up next Friday in the MMA. And he's got all these talents, and he surprises and impresses up us once in a while. I mean, the homework he's doing on Supercross, the knowledge of Supercross. I think you might need to get him out there, man. You might need to put him to work. I it, dude. I mean, I mean, and you knew exactly what key, uh, past elements we were bringing to the uh, track at Daytona this year, dude. You are you are on it. I love it. Dropping some knowledge on us. Listen. Uh... I'll come to talk about it all day, but as far as getting on a dirt bike, the only thing I ever rode as a kid was a Honda CR70, and, and I thought it was like a 225, man. I thought it was the real deal, but I don't have much experience when it comes to riding. But I'll, but I'll come talk, uh, you know, I'll come talk Supercross all day. <laughs> all right. I, well, you got a place. If you ever want to ride, just hit me up, and we'll uh, we'll put you on a bike. And I'll make sure we film it. Thing might go viral. You never know. <laughs> hey, hey, he's six foot reasons, six, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ricky, thanks for joining us, man. And uh, I know you're tight on time, so have a good couple of weeks down there at Daytona, and uh, we hope to see you down there. Thanks for having me on, fellas. It was a really good time. All right, Ricky Carmichael, the GOAT of Supercross, and the Daytona Supercross coming up the 50th running next week, and you can get your tickets. Make sure you get them for Daytona Supercross coming up uh, next weekend. More information on that on the other side right after this. We're going to take a timeout from the NFL Combine. Back to football. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 right after this. We love Calais. He's a tremendous player. He's a tremendous leader. You saw what he did with the Walter Payton Award and and uh, recognized him, uh, amongst the league as as one of the leaders of not only our team but, but the NFL. So, um you think he still has a lot of football ahead of him, so uh, those are some of the pieces. A lot of these pieces are fluid, and and in terms of um, if we add a piece or delete a piece, a lot of that those uh, decisions will be made depending on what we do in free agency and, and throughout the draft. That's David Caldwell on Calais Campbell, and very few times I call him David Caldwell, <laughs> Jaguars general manager uh, from the NFL Combine this week in Indianapolis. And listen, I think I have a pretty good handle on the way the Jaguars work. If they had made up their mind by now, especially to a player like Calais Campbell, on what exactly was going on, if they were just going to release him, or if they were sure thing going to keep him at the dollars that he's going to make, then I think we would know. Uh, I don't think it would be this hemming and hawing secret talk around, we love Calais, all this stuff that everybody knows, without saying, oh yeah, he's back, he's on our roster. They have not made up their mind. Uh, they have a couple weeks to do so, and, and really closer to almost three weeks. But you can tell they have not made up their mind. I don't think they made up their mind on A.J. Boye either. I think that's clear as day coming out of the combine here the last couple of days when we talked to Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone. Now, they might be leaning a certain way. They might be trying to restructure or do some of those things. But they have not made up their mind what they are going to do from a roster spot standpoint and the dollars that already are allotted to those two players specifically, or we would know by now. I'm pretty confident of that. Uh, 
Fun interview with Ricky Carmichael. Always is. Check out Daytona Supercross next weekend. By the way, tickets, DaytonaInternationalSpeedway.com. Really a fun race, uh, yeah. fun thing to be a part of. And uh, check it out. Ricky Carmichael, cool guy. I always love I love when you start rapping, man, about the motor, uh, well, Supercross stuff. This, I mean, it's, it's fun to listen to. So, you know, I mean, and I've talked about it before, Brent, but, like, that's honestly, it's one of the coolest moments for me to do the show is to talk to him or, like, you know, like another guy like Jeremy McGrath that I grew up idolizing. Because, yeah, I grew up playing football, obviously, and when I was in the backyard, you know, I was Brett Favre, right? I mean, I you know, I was all these legends, but also I used to have this little dirt bike, man. It was a Honda 70CR. It was a tiny, tiny bike. I was way too big for it, but like, you know, I mean, Carmichael rode Honda as well, so I always imagined, like, I was, you know, Carmichael coming through, like, the whoop section, you know, of, 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 of the course, man. So, like, dude, I, I spent so many times at my grandpa's cabin, like, riding my Honda CR thinking I was Ricky Carmichael. So it's always cool to talk to him. How tall were you when you were riding that thing? Because I want to see six foot six. Oh, Austin no, man. So, things, like, man. realistically, I mean, I must have probably been in, like, third or fourth grade. So, I mean, I was I was tiny, man. But even back then, I was still tall. And it was definitely a, a small trail bike. So, uh, I probably outgrew it. And it was funny, too. So, my grandpa bought it at an auction. Bought it for, like, 50 bucks. Didn't run. Well, obviously, my grandpa knows everything there is to know about engines and cars. So, he fixed it up for me. The first time I took it out, I broke the throttle cable. So you know like how a throttle cable, like on a dirt bike where you got to twist it to make it go? Well, that cable broke. So what my grandpa did is he put like this little socket on the cable. So it was just, it was a raw cable. I couldn't twist it. I literally had to hold the cable in my hand and then pull it for, for in order to make my dirt bike go. So um, it was kind of like some MacGyver stuff, but we, we made it work, man. Hey, just uh, when you go back and watch the show, right down about an hour and five minutes into the show, sure. and when you say to me, hey, you know that cable that goes, Throttle look at cable, my face, <laughs> look at my face, dude. You, okay, just go back and watch the show and look at my face. Friend, have you ever been on a motorcycle before? You <laughs> I actually that? have been on a motorcycle, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like when you twist it, that's the throttle cable. You know what I'm saying? So the cable <laughs> broke, and, and we had to kind of make shift something where I actually had to pull the cable with a little socket. So it was, it was, it was a nightmare. Thanks yeah, Just sorry, go back man. and look at my face. Okay, I can't wait. <laughs> so, sounds like a meme to me. And my face is, by the way, on the big screen right now on our, our video feeds on uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And Josh says, I'm late to the show today. Yeah. Shame on you, Josh. Yep. How did we end up with Tiny A-Train in the stream? I got put on I time responded, out. I responded, <laughs> you got demoted. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> yep, I got put on time out. <laughs> uh, so, uh... Well, that's because we had a guest on, and now yeah. we haven't gone to. Now we're, we're back. We're back at the. You're 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 real big again. Nice. I'm glad to <laughs> hear it. All six foot six of you, and my face right behind you on the on the window. I love it. <laughs> uh, so we have that going for us. All right. Hey, let's seriously talk about Calais Campbell, AJ Boye, and uh, and Jan to a degree. We'll get to more Jan because Jan continues to be a talking point. And is it happening? With Yannick Ngakwe, where the fans are starting to get tired of it. Uh, we have some evidence on social media of that, but is that, you know, across the board, people being tired of it? We'll get to that part in a little bit. I sure. want to first talk Calais and AJ. And, my, you know, I, I introduced this uh, a little bit ago. And also, just uh, you heard from Dave Caldwell at the top of the show. Can they afford, Austin, to lose one of these guys? Or two of these guys. Let's not say all three. But can they afford to lose both AJ and Calais? You know the dynamics of locker rooms. Yeah. I'm talking from a play standpoint and from a dynamic standpoint. Can you do it? In my opinion, absolutely not. Because I compare it to when... 
Gus Bradley took over and that regime of just how that locker room was set up, right? When, when, when Gus Bradley came in, it was set up for Gus Bradley to fail because they didn't have any leadership. They didn't have any of the season bets. It was a bunch of young guys who essentially couldn't govern themselves, let's just say. Okay? And with Gus Bradley's coaching style, it just didn't mesh that well. So now let's fast forward to Doug Marone now. Obviously a season where you must win, a season where you have to win to keep your job. And I think if you were to lose, you know, both Calais Campbell and A.J. Boye, where you're losing two probably of the most experienced guys in your defense, number one. Now, obviously, Avery Jones is up there as well. But the difference between that, Brent, is let's be honest. Avery Jones, I think, is is a fantastic player, but he's not on the field 100% of the time. I'd probably say he's maybe on the field maybe 30 to 40% at the very most, you know, depending on who they're playing, I think. So that means a lot, you know, and you have a guy with Miles Jack who – they have no idea what position Miles Jack's even going to play in this up-and-coming season, right? So in terms of leadership... We'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> well, well, in terms of leadership and in terms of you know having those pillars where, where your defense can feed from, especially if you want to be a team that's going to play good defense and that's going to be your identity, you have to at least keep one of those guys because those are your leaders of the team. Yeah, you know, I, I have a hard time looking at this team and thinking you're good or as good as you could be or it's the best interest of the team with both of those guys gone. And I understand Calais is this larger-than-life figure, and he has been so good and so pr- productive and such a good... Listen, there's nobody that's going to be more biased about Calais Campbell than me. Um, but I'll, I'll reserve that right now in the defense of A.J. Boye. Boye is potentially just as important... One, because I've said this all along, you have to be so cautious to leave this gaping hole at corner for the Jags. Well, they have one with Jalen Ramsey. Outside perception is they already have a gaping hole because Ramsey's in L.A. and you traded them away. Mm. Well, inside the building, they like Trey Herndon, man. They think they found something in Trey Herndon. That is like, they believe that. Whether they're right or not, who knows, but they believe that. They are okay with Herndon. But if you have Herndon, who's a young guy, and you have no A.J. Boye on the other side, well, there, then I think you do have a hole. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you still have a very young secondary with whoever else you're going to put in there, Nickerson and Herndon and Ronnie Harrison, who hasn't played a ton of football, is now going into his third year. And then you do have Jared Wilson, who's now becoming a veteran, but he still hasn't played a lot of football like a veteran. So you take away A.J. Boye, who's a pro, who, who studies film, who handles his business, who's all about football and very serious. I think that's an important part of the room. And I understand sometimes you have to make those tough decisions. That might be the case in A.J. Boye's situation. But I do think he's an important part of their room. I really do. I don't know if he's $15 million worth, but -hmm. I do think he's a big part of their room. So to the point of, okay, if you got to lose one, well, that's business. Sometimes you got to make tough decisions. But if you lose two... I really think that changes the dynamic of your room, changes the dynamic of your defense in in total. And uh, you have to be very careful that, especially given what we have no idea could be a toxic, could be. you got to give props to Yannick Ngakwe for the way he handled 2019. But will he handle it the same way in 2020 if they franchise tag him? Could that be a toxic situation for Yannick Ngakwe? And what if a guy like Boye and a guy like Calais is not around to help remedy that? It could be a dangerous situation for the Jags locker room, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Well, and listen, and let's keep in mind, for instance, let's talk about A.J. Boye real quick. 
let's say that you lose A.J. Boye, okay, and Trey Herndon is indeed going to be the man going forward, and he's the guy that you're going to put, you know, on the one receiver. Okay, whatever. I mean, it, it is what it is. But let's be honest, though. I mean, Trey Herndon's going into his, what, his third year? He still has a lot to learn, Brent, all right? Like, he, he still has to perfect oh, his craft. And who's going to be the guy to teach him that from the corner position? Because they're already a pretty young team, right? I mean, you got D.J. Hayden as well, but for the most part, they're a very young team at the corner spot. A.J. Boye, to me, is that season vet. He's the guy that knows how to go about his business. He's the guy that knows how to study film. I mean, we saw it against the New York Jets, prime example number A, where... Uh, Number A, letter A. When uh, you know, when when essentially, and I, I forgot who the what was it? Who was the oh Robbie Anderson? When he essentially ran Robbie yes. Anderson's route for him, picks the ball off he because he guessed the route. Okay, that's the type of of game film study. That's the type of due diligence that AJ Boye brings to your cornerback room. Now, if you lose him. That's going to be a giant detriment. Now, that's not to say, yeah, maybe you can go in free agency and bring another vet in. But I'm just saying, man, if you have the choice to save maybe $1 or $2 million of, to cut A.J. Boye, bring another vet in, why do it? Because A.J. Boye's been here, right? Like, he, he knows when it's good, and he, he knows when it's been bad. And he knows what the good looks like. And I think that's the type of guy that you want in your locker room, especially from the cornerback position. Well, and you gotta, he's got to be potentially willing. I don't even say he has to, not for his sake, but he has to be willing to maybe work on that contract if they want to dance together here in Jacksonville, or he might be going elsewhere. I get it. There is a business element to this that you just can't hide. I understand. But you do have to think about what kind of holes you leave. Real quick thought before we go to break, uh, and, and we'll talk more about it on the other side. Do you like their young corners? Cause, because they seem to, man. They, they think they're, I wouldn't say all set. I don't, I'm not saying they're like, oh, boy, yeah, we don't need to do anything. Like, their offensive line, I think they feel like they're all set. Yeah. I don't think they feel that way about their corners, but I think names that people have no idea outside the city limits of Jacksonville, the Nickersons and Herndons and those kind of guys of the world, they like them. Yeah. Do you like them? You, you know, if I'm being 100% candid here and honest, um, I don't mind them, but I guess – and then this is bad because this kind of goes against the way I always talk about the combine – but to me, I kind of have a preconceived notion of what I want out of my corner, right? And, like, I prefer a corner who's a little more longer and lankier, you know, who has those long arms who can press coverage, you know, who can go up and get it. Who It's not a sides mismatch when you're taking on guys of the likes of DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones. You know, you're, you're just not outmanned. And I think size helps that. And I think if we break down Trey Herndon, DJ Hayden, um... Nickerson even, like I think all those guys are probably below six feet, right? So to me, if I had it my way, I would want more of that bigger corner guy, kind of like Jalen Ramsey was. Now, A.J. Boy is not the biggest corner out there either, but I think he's probably above six feet, if I'm not mistaken. You know, and I'm glad you brought up the name D.J. Hayden. Probably don't give him enough credit. They are all set in the slot. But I don't know if I want – I want D.J. Hayden in the slot. I don't want him going to the outside. I love where he plays really well, and I think he plays almost at a Pro Bowl level, man. I thought he had an awesome year. And so I want to keep him there. They love him there. And so don't mess that. Don't mess with that. Uh, so you got to fill the other spots. The other part, and I guess I probably overlooked this, he is a veteran guy too. And I think that's yeah. an important part of the room, and he shouldn't be dismissed. And I almost did. So I'm glad you brought his name up because I do think having him there is a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that does allow you some flexibility with the veteran presence of A.J. Boye. Well, so I'm glad Brent, you brought up the name, let me quick, uh, D.J. Hayden. Let me quick ask you this, though. From D.J. Hayden's perspective, because obviously you, you know better than I do, I mean, is he more of kind of like the silent type as opposed to Boye, where he's more of like the vocal leader of that secondary? I, yeah, but you would say both are silent. 
I don't okay. think both, both you, they come across as vocal. I would say, you know, there's a there's an edge to both of them. Sure. And I would think in in private in those team rooms, and you've seen guys like this before that they might not be like rah 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 or super personality guys in front of a microphone, but in that room, they can get loud, boisterous, and you know what they mean and when they mean business. And I think Hayden comes across real. I think both do. I think Boye and Hayden are kind of like that. Probably a similar personality. They're edgy, and when they mean business, you're going to know they mean business in a room. And I think uh, young guys probably react to that. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, do you do I have that right though? Do you play with? I mean, you're in a different position because there's not yeah. too many unassuming defensive linemen. <laughs> but my Who point are you is, you know, that I played with. <laughs> but my point is, like, they are kind of unassuming. You know, like, A.J. Boye likes to read a lot. He's kind of that quiet guy. Sure, yeah. <laughs> really labeling him. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, you get him in front of a microphone. They're great guys in an interview, but they're not going to, like, give you these amazing sound bites. They're not going to be, like, laughing and smiling and all this stuff. They're yeah. pretty serious. They're kind of low-key, unassuming, and serious. But then when, my guess is when they're in a room, when they're out on that field, they got a level of swag that's off the charts, you know? Sure, you know, and, and I would always compare it to, like, Rasheen Mathis, a, a guy who I played with in two stops, obviously, in Jacksonville and good Detroit. Call. Like, you know, during interviews and stuff, like I think Rasheen Mathis kind of give you kind of, like, the g- generic stuff, you know, I mean, kind of just unassuming. But obviously, like, when he's in a team meeting or when he's in a cornerback meeting, I've heard, you know, like, I mean, the guy knows his stuff, and, and he takes pride uh, of what he does. And I think, you know, I think a lot of corners are like that because, let's be honest, Brent, it is a very high-pressure, high-profile position because usually you're on an island by yourself. So you have to have that swagger because if you get burnt, man, people are going to know about it. On the other hand, you know, when I was coming up with the Jaguars, I mean, our defensive line room, you, you could literally, I've said it before, you could have a reality t- television show for the guys that we had. You know I mean? Guys like Derek Garvey and, and Jeremy Mincy and Pot Roast, man. Like, we're just, you know, we're kind of our own brand of characters. And I think it's just, it's obviously a reflection of the position because I think on the defensive line, you can be a little more laid back. You can be a little more emotional just because you have four other guys or three other guys next to you that are going to have your back. As far as the cornerback's position is concerned, usually how it works out, if you're man coverage, you're on your island and you're, you're by yourself. Very, uh, very good. Good stuff there uh, inside a locker room. We'll see what the Jaguars choose to do in their secondary. They seem to like those young guys, maybe more than people outside the building uh, would lend to say the same thing. When we come back, let's talk... Yannick Ngakwe. <laughs> Why not? All yeah. right. It's everyday show topic. What did he tweet today? And are the fans starting to grow a little bit tired of it? Uh, or is that just some on social media? Talk about that. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Live at the NFL Combine, Indianapolis. They're benching 225 over there. Actually, it looks like they might be done now. Maybe it's my turn. I'll go over there. We'll be right back on ESPN 690 in a bit. It never affected how he practiced or how he performed or what he did or how he react, you know, did everything with his teammates. He never brought that into the locker room. I have so much respect for that. That's Doug Marone talking about his affection for Yannick Ngakwe, Jaguars' talented defensive end, and this thing could get dramatic uh, for the Jaguars. They're trying to obviously keep it out of the public eye, but I'm not sure Yannick Ngakwe is all that interested in doing the same. And you have to wonder, and this is the question, will the Jaguars fan base get tired of it? Are they already tired of it? And what does it take for a fan base to kind of turn on a player? It's interesting because we saw it happen with Jalen Ramsey. Again, if you go back to that whole situation, 
they were like, organization, what are you doing? Now, it was a little bit split on Ramsey at times because it was so early in the season, the Jags weren't bad yet, and the Coughlin stuff wasn't at the level it was at the end of the year. So if you're a big Coughlin believer and, and, and in that disciplined kind of way, you might have taken Coughlin's side. But there was a vocal fan base that was, what are you talking about? That's our best guy. You know, let's, let's make him happy. Do whatever you got to do. Well, that changed. And it changed, I think it changed when he said he wouldn't play with the back injury. I think fans lost respect for that. Fans knew that he was bluffing, uh, at least to some degree, and they didn't buy it anymore. And then soon after that, he was out of town. And I think some of the fans kind of figured, hey, we know he's going to be out of town, so what the heck am I rooting for this guy anymore? Well, are we getting to that stage, or will we get to that stage with Yannick Ngakwe? Brett Martin, back here at the NFL Con. Austin Lane in the Action Sports Shack Studios. I think John Bachman from CBS 47 and Fox 30 back there as well. Uh, hello, guys. And what uh, does that change, Austin? Do you know? I mean, you've, you've seen the player side of it. Sure. So I, I know you didn't have this situation. And to be honest with you, man, we have not encountered a lot of these situations in Jacksonville. I always say it. Maurice Jones-Drew, that was a situation where he wanted a new contract. And to be honest... I think a lot of fans on that one were kind of on the organization side at that point of Maurice Jones-Drew's career, if I remember correctly. The Jalen thing was a different animal, and now we have this one with Yannick Ngakwe. And I hope I have the temperature right, but I feel like there are a lot of people that say, what are you doing, organization? Give this guy money. Why are we? Why are, has this, uh, is this dragging out? You know, Why isn't this done? And I just wonder if we will see a change in that sooner than later well listen in terms of Jalen Ramsey obviously it was probably 50 50 in terms of people going to the front office people on Jalen's side and the reason it was 50 50 from the get-go was because even though Jalen kind of had his distractions and all that stuff people wanted to keep Jalen Ramsey because they understood what type of football player he was right one of the best corners in the game so I think fans were willing to kind of overlook some of the distractions parts that maybe he was bringing to the team and say well you know what we got to keep him because he's one of the best corners now as the distractions kept going on and on and on, you know, and he didn't play because of his back and things like that, and all this drama kind of unfolded, um, you know, before our eyes in the media, well, then fans started to side more with management just because all of a sudden the distractions outweighed the talent of Jalen Ramsey. Now, with Yannick Ngakwe, I think he's going to face kind of the same thing going forward where if he keeps putting out these tweets, you know, and these cryptic things where he's, by all indications, he's showing that he doesn't want to be in Jacksonville anymore. And that's fine. If I'm Yannick Ngakwe, just say you don't want to be in Jacksonville anymore. It's simple as that, you know. And for whatever reason, it's something that I can't really understand with this generation of football players where, you know, they they have to have those cryptic tweets. They, they have to be in the spotlight, and they have to keep people guessing. You know, it's almost like, I know something you guys don't know you're supposed to be our millennial whisperer so go ahead john say I, about I that. said you're supposed to be our millennial whisperer you're supposed to understand this and explain it to brent and yeah, me how yeah. is this not you're <laughs> you're not how are you not able to do that well, for us? Well, because i have some hey there's only, oh, oh, there's only two guys here this. on the gram man there's only <laughs> two guys here on the gram <laughs> we, we went a whole week without saying the gram and here we are again <laughs> but oh, i mean to your point all that progress I, wasted <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Go no, ahead. No, I was just gonna say. I think. I mean, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, you, you hit it. I mean, he, he's gonna start feeling the heat from fans. In fact, it, well, let me rephrase that. According to my feed, you could already see it happening. You <laughs> yeah. could already see it. First, it was pay Yan, pay Yan, pay Yan, and now it's like, well, if you don't want to be here, and look, 
the way that you know some of this has gone down, at least from what we've heard, you don't blame Jan at all. I certainly don't blame Jan if if he says I'm out of here, this didn't work out, I'm gone. But but I think there'll be a lot of fans who probably ultimately will flip back to the side of the Jags because once Jan leaves, what's the point? I mean, that you're stuck with what you're stuck with. As, as Jags fans, you're going to keep rooting for the Jags. Yeah. Well, and listen, so and, I don't know how it goes any other way. And frankly, and, and I'm going to say something here that might get me some, you know, some dislikes on Twitter, but it's the truth. Okay. There's people in this city, John, that have grown up here since '95, and then they've been diehard Jaguars fans for that long. Okay. Yannick Ngakwe has been here for four years. Okay. I don't think he was a Jaguars fan when he grew up. I don't think he was a Jaguars fan in high school. Probably wasn't looking to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars when he was in college. He's here now, and I think he's had a great run here, and I would love to see the guy stick around if he wants to. I think any Jaguars fan would attest to that. But the point is, in terms of loyalty, I don't think Yannick Ngakwe really cares what fans think about him. And, and I don't mean that's to come off the, the, the wrong way. I'm just saying, in terms of investment, the fans are obviously a lot more invested in this organization, having grown up with it their, their entire lives, than a football player who's been in town for four years. Well, I think that's the yeah, biggest difference. Go ahead, Brian. It's your show, man. I'll let you go. No, <laughs> no go ahead. Go ahead. Well, come on, John Bachman, the face that runs the place. Let's come get on, it, no. man. No, but I think it's a great point. To, to, you know, as you mentioned, the difference between Yannick and uh, Ramsey and these younger players versus guys like Calais mm-hmm. I think Calais does care what the fans think. He he is of the older school where, you know, yeah, it's about the money. For sure it's about the money. This is a business first, and that's understandable. But he also does care what the fans think, and that's why he's out spending his money and and his time in the, in the uh, you know, Jacksonville community and around the area because he gets that. Or mm-hmm. I think he gets it. It's my opinion that that's what you should be doing when you're making a lot of money uh, based on – Fans paying, you know, to to watch the Jags. Um, so I, I do think that there is some of that with with Jan and the younger generation, and I don't understand that because yeah. well, I, I, what, go ahead, Brent. Yeah, I think you got to be here. Let's be crystal clear on this, though. It's okay if Jan doesn't care what the fans think. Yes, absolutely. That, I'm not saying that, it's wrong. I'm just saying it's different, and I'm of the older generation uh, that uh, you know thinks it's important but i agree it's not that's just my opinion i mean the, the I, I agree. angst against jan for this contract situation or the support i said this yesterday on the show and this is what i want to be clear on it is an impact on the organization and the organization then be, gets under pressure i believe if they feel this overwhelming amount like my gosh we can't let this guy go like it, it fans don't necessarily make roster moves but there are feelings in town amongst some roster moves that the impact of the fans enters the mind of the decision makers. And especially when an organization has had bad PR move after bad PR move after bad PR move at least the last six or eight months. It has not been good looking on top of losing. So if they were winning amidst all this, would be totally different. They trust the organization. Well, right now, every time I put something out on social media, it's like, oh, we don't trust these guys anyway. They're going to lose ten games anyway. There's not a lot of trust within the organization of the football decision makers going on right now because of their track record on the field with wins and losses. And so I don't say this from Jan's perspective. Jan should... 
in a way, I understand what you're saying, John. It's cool to embrace. And, and by the way, Jan's done a lot of things in the community, has a lot of fans. I think he does care about what the fans think. I just think day-to-day you got to be really careful of that as a player because when you play well, it's all great. When you don't, well, look out on social media these days. I think it's more yeah. about the organization. And I think it's, well, if everybody is gathered around Yannick Ngakwe and saying, pay the guy. And I've already given you guys examples the last couple of weeks that word I'm getting is inside the building, they get phone calls about this. Hmm. Which surprised me to a degree. Like, I think, hey, uh, I think it's fantastic that they do. Yeah, I think it's so too. That's I mean, great. Like, yeah. I thought they'd get questions about who's your quarterback and Gardner Mitchell. Well, I think the number one question right now is, are you going to pay Yannick and Gakwe? I think that's the temperature well, of the what fans it's been are your customers. From you the want fans. you want any good business to respond to your customers? Yeah. Our, our my customers are the viewers. Mm-hmm. The viewers don't like something I'm doing. They're going to let me know about it, and I'm going to take that seriously. That's yeah. just the way the game works. Yeah, and listen, like uh, I don't try to cater to the fans. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars fans are great, and sometimes we may not see eye to eye, but I think we've been pretty, you know. Clearly, especially with the guys on social media, in terms of Jalen Ramsey, and now in terms of Yannick Ngakwe, where you know they want to resign Yannick to a long deal because they understand the game, bro. Like we, we we can't shortchange the fans here in their football IQ. They understand how important a defensive end is. They understand that a pass rusher is the premium position in the NFL, just like they understood that Jalen Ramsey being one of the best corners in the league was important to have on your team. Now, like I said, eventually the distractions got a little bit too much, and they're off that Jalen Wagon. But right now we have Yannick Ngakwe, we have Josh Allen, and they understand what it means to have two bona fide pass rushers on your team and how important it is to win ballgames. And by the way, today's tweet from Jan was, it was next stop, dot, dot, dot. Okay? And so I retweeted that, Mm -hmm. and then I started to get, for the first time, really, I don't retweet a lot of Jan's tweets, just kind of notice them, but for some reason I retweeted this one. And I I said, (laughs) I really don't even know why. What was the reason you think? Because it was a big one. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I think some of them have hinted, but... What I'm interested in the last six, seven days, I think Jan's tweeted these kind of things day after day. And so before, they were a little bit more spread out. And yeah. so what I feel like when he tweets, I feel, he's a, he can be an emotional guy, I think. And so I think some of the angst is starting to build up in him. That's mm-hmm. my interpretation of it. I have no idea. But I'm just interpreting like, hey, all right. I'm going to put this out there because <laughs> I'm not. I, this is this is starting to frustrate me, and, and that's what I sense. Well, it's starting to frustrate the fans too. Uh, vacation staycation, which sounds like a good Twitter handle, says I like Jan, but this is childish to me. Why would he be pushing the leave so hard? Coughlin is gone. I was told he was the source of all the player issues. I don't know about all the no. player issues, no. uh, but it is a fair point. Like now that Coughlin's out of the building, why can't they try to remedy this thing? You know, I, well, I, we haven't really talked about but I, that, but why? Why that part is out? Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with that sentiment, but the the and no, that's the thing. None of us know exactly what's going on with Jan as far as who he who who all in that building he has a, an issue with, if any. I mean, we don't know for sure. We don't know. He may end up signing a deal, and ever, ever, all this is for naught. But the the impression I I'm getting, at least from these tweets and whatnot, is that you know the damage has been done in that building and he just doesn't want to be there right now that's and again this could all be part of the contract negotiation ploy or process or whatever you want to call it uh you know the the reality is none of us really know for sure i have never spoken to jan or his agent i'm obviously just an outsider casting my opinion about yeah. but um i, I but i well, do- and therefore it's a little bit valuable too kind of how because we have 
we do have conversations with all the parties. Yes. And so it's a little bit. It, I like to get the outside perspective of it, almost from a right. uh, you know a neutral bystander. But like even JPC fourteen eighty eight says, take your two hundred and forty pound no run playing self to some other city, please. We'll it's see turning. how good you are playing without Calais and Allen on the same yeah. DL. Now that's just one tweet, but right. it also shows you the narrative that's been put out there. And I don't think the team necessarily put this out there, but the narrative is out there that the guy can't stop the run at all. And we've discussed this on the wall that says it all, Austin. Mm-hmm. He might not be Von Miller against the run, but the guy can play football. And he can still stop there. And he yeah. had his best year against the run uh, this past season. So you got to be careful with the narratives, and everybody jumps on it and carries it, uh, you know, and especially that happens well, on social media. Well, I'll just end this was by, for me saying, as a, as a fan, level-headed fan to some degree, uh, <laughs> I, I would say, look, I don't fault him after all that's been said and done, he played this year. He played well this year. He played hard this year. He was a, a good teammate by all accounts, and he did what he had to do. And he and, and he didn't sit out when he you know he could have. There there were more things he could have done to to drive you know the wedge between him and the organization. He didn't do that. So I I don't. I'm not holding I, – I, Jan's doing what's, what he thinks is the best for Jan, and I don't blame him for that at all. Yeah. As a Jags fan, I hope he is able to stay. I hope they can work it out and it and he can stay because I do think he's great. As a fan, I'd love to see him stay because he should stay, uh, you know, for the Jags. Mm-hmm. But Jan's got to do what Jan's got to do. And, I, I, you know, I don't blame him at all for – you know, I want that to be clear from what I've said earlier. Yeah, and, and listen, and – I don't necessarily. That's good because he takes notes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, if you're listening, Jan, I don't blame you, man, but stay. Well, and listen, I've I've never co-signed on you know the whole cryptic tweet thing, whether it's from Yannick or any NFL player. I just I don't understand it, and that's just my lane, and I'll stay in it, okay? But <laughs> uh, but in terms of Jan, you know, and, that should be and a segment, by the way. Well, so I say I know, right? It's got a nice little ring to it here. But listen, we're talking about the way that Yannick's act, acting right now, and he's maybe losing some of the fan base and the fan are going against him a little bit. Well, this is a cause-reaction type of scenario, okay? And Yannick Ngakwe is not the cause right now. He is the reaction. The cause was last year. The, the cause was last year when you were talking about childish things, when somebody supposedly leaked out that $19 million was offered to Yannick Ngakwe, even though we we're pretty sure that's not true. The childish. The cause was caused last year when Tom Coughlin at a press conference trying to get fans to buy tickets was asked about Yannick Ngakwe and then said he has to show us more okay to me that's the cause now this is the result of it Yannick Ngakwe on Twitter going on these rants these cryptic messages it's because of what happened last year now like you mentioned Brent Tom Coughlin gone you know the, the problem is gone but it just begs the question even though the problem is gone all right and even though the relationship could be on the mend is it going to be enough? And I think from Yannick Ngakwe's perspective right now, obviously with what he's tweeting and just knowing him kind of as a football player, I don't think that relationship's even close to being salvaged right now. we got to roll in just a minute to get John out of here because he's going to do the 5 o'clock news on CBS 47 and Fox 30. But real quick, guys, uh, is it better to play this more dramatically, like to keep the drama building? Does that benefit Jan or does that benefit the organization in any way? Or just kind of stay low uh, for both sides. I, mean, I, I think the organization side is to stay low. You don't want to antagonize yeah, a player when I they're agree. already kind sure. of pissed mad at you. Uh, but uh, what about his side? Is it better to build the drama 
build the I, angst a little bit? He, Put the pressure think, on the organization? I think, I think his people, and he probably think that that's the case. Otherwise, you wouldn't see all these cryptic tweets that have us all guessing and talking. And And I can't. Argue that. I like it for sports radio. I sure, will say it's that good, it's good for ESPN six ninety. No, yeah. and 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 I think it's probably good for him because now it could backfire on him a bit in the sense that you're talking about the tide is starting to change a little. You know, the, the for the longest time, as you just mentioned, the public opinion was pay on, pay on, pay on, and now if the tide starts changing a little bit, it may backfire a bit. But here's what I'll say: is if if in, at the end of the day, if he if he should sign with the Jags. All these folks who might be starting to lean against him right now will be right back in his corner sure. as soon as he puts the, the Jags uniform on again for five more years or whatever this, the yeah, case may and, be. And in terms of strategy and gamesmanship, I think Yannick Ngakwe is doing exactly what he needs to do right now. Because Absolutely. Every time he puts out one of these cryptic tweets, what do we do? We talk about it on the radio show. People get all riled up on Twitter. And then we ask the question, well, why does he want to leave Jacksonville so bad? And then we raise up those questions a little bit, and we point right at the front office and the organization. So from Yannick Ngakwe's perspective, he's getting paid no matter what. Eventually, the guy will get paid someplace. May not be in Jacksonville, but he's getting paid. So with all he's doing right now with all these tweets is he's raising the question of why he doesn't want to be here anymore. Yeah, it's a good Which thought. theoretically uh, raises his value, is what you're saying correct. then. Yeah. yeah, though I will say there was a report, uh, I think uh, someone covering the Giants said, is he overpricing himself at $22 million for the Giants? for that yeah. specific football team. And those are questions that each team will have to handle based on their cap space and their needs and everything else. All right, John, yeah. uh, coming up, CBS 47, Fox 30 tonight. By the way, you're, you're a soccer dad, mm. uh, Bartram playing on Friday, but uh, St. John's Country Day yes. won a state championship. And uh, that was their ninth, like 275th for them. <laughs> ninth man, in a row, man. Unbelievable. Row. Congratulations man. to the girls. Yes. Awesome. And uh, the other games are in delay right now. Marcel Robinson's oh, down there for us. Yeah. Uh, but uh, 5 o'clock start for the I, Bowls Class I, 3A that's uh, state championship game. And is uh, Bishop Kenny playing after that allegedly? Cause I, allegedly. I, yeah, they could I use know. tomorrow as a rain day, but okay. hopefully not because we sent Marcel down there and, well, He's yeah. down there, so yeah, I don't want to no. waste his time. Burrish is not <laughs> not optimistic, though. He he told I asked him about that. It's that's it's, not good. it's very very wet as you as Marcel and is lightning. well aware. And, uh, lightning and that's the, the real problem too. Yeah, and then if the field gets really sloppy, it's uh, you know it's a problem. All right, what uh, you got tonight? Yes. Uh, so tonight we have a bunch of stuff coming up, including I'm learning that the Tang Dynasty at Ponte Vedra Beach is a fairly popular spa uh, over there. I did not know that, mm-hmm. but apparently it is. And currently the FBI and other uh, law enforcement officers are raiding said Tang Dynasty. So we have a crew there. We're working to get more information on why they're raiding the Tang Dynasty. If you're in your car driving right now, you might want to stay away from the Buckman Bridge if you need to get to to either side of the river down south uh, because it is a mess. There was a really bad, deadly car fire that uh, shut down the bridge uh, in one direction, but then was causing massive delays in the other direction. So it was a mess. It's uh, They've reopened it now, but it's still slow going the last time I checked the DOT cameras. Um, John, I still think I should be in your 2 o'clock uh, news meeting or 2.30, whatever it is, yeah. and I would raise the story of car fires in Jacksonville. <laughs> it's, I, I'm serious, yeah. man. I've never yeah. seen more than – and I've lived in four different states or whatever, yeah. and I wonder, like, Florida doesn't have, like, an inspection law. 
right well, for your car. You, like back in Rhode Island, we had to get our car inspected annually. Yes, which seemed that was silly. for emissions, though. It wasn't. I mean, that's a pretty basic inspection for emissions. Is that what? It, is that yeah, at least that's what it is in Georgia. It was a Georgia emissions inspection. Okay. But you're but right. I'm Florida does you, not man. have one of those, and that is interesting. And I think most of your listeners right now hate you for bringing that idea. <laughs> I'm just bringing the idea up for don't, five don't o'clock say another news word on, about that, on Action man. News Jacks. I'm just saying the people will story. probably not like you very much. But it <laughs> is an interesting already. story. Maybe we'll talk about that. Um, real quickly, uh, of course, the coronavirus, hugely top of mind. The president's scheduled to speak at 6 o'clock. We'll carry that for you on Action News Jacks as well. We're looking into all kinds of angles of this uh, locally, especially, of course, uh, right now, no coronavirus cases in Florida. Uh, we expect that to change at some point as this uh, spreads. Um, and then lastly, finally, uh, kind of interesting thing that I thought Austin would enjoy that the AMP down in St. Augustine, the St. Yeah, Augustine AMP. Of course, man. It's great been a, venue. Yes, great venue with some great concerts. Lucero's there tonight. Okay. And not one I'm not I'm not real familiar with Lucero, but nope, somebody else in the newsroom was real excited about that. <laughs> okay, um, they're there tonight. That's not the point. The point is that this has now been a year since the AMP went and try. Uh, they've they've launched this new program to decrease the waste. They're no longer selling water bottles of water. They're selling I think cans of carton. water and recyclable. It's a box. It's a box. Yeah, yeah. Yep, it's, 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 a box. it's like a carton yeah. of water. Yeah. Carton of water. Very cool, I think. Yeah, it's awesome. So we're we went down there to see how that program is doing a year in. Yeah. So we'll have a report on that as well. Well, and spoiler alert, and I was a little surprised, but a box of water, pretty tasty. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I wasn't mad at that. A little cardboardy taste. No, 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 not at all. Dude, I mean, it brought me back to the days of, you know, grade school with those milk carts. Oh, yeah, yeah, man, chocolate milk all day. Boom. Miss Johnson's class, dude, I was hustling three of those a pop. (laughs) You better believe it, man. Chocolate milk's the best. Oh, dude, we talent, man. Especially out of those little triangle things. Oh, I'd be off the walls after my third one, dude. Yes, I'd be put on timeout all the time. Go sit in the corner. (laughs) Why didn't you guys get all your breaks in in the 4 o'clock hour? Well, we were talking about chocolate milk. Hey, man, we do a little bit of everything around here. Chocolate milk and yawn. That's what I mean. Those All are right. big talks. <laughs> All right. Hey, by the way, yeah. Eric uh, uh, is listening to the show, hopefully watching TV tonight, but he yeah. says uh, he, he just texted me and said uh, that fire was a result of a wreck today. It was. So it wasn't it, just a It car was not a car thing, fire so just things. by a car fire. That's right. It was a wreck. There's at least two cars involved. Yep. I got Thank you, Eric, uh, for uh, setting Brent straight. <laughs> okay. Once you get out of there, John, you got to go. Right. You're on TV in 12 minutes. I I, I can make it. Okay. I'm, I'm not fast, as fast as Austin, don't... but I'm faster than you. Boom. Just take Ooh, the elevator. Don't stumble down the stairs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. Thanks. All, All right. Man. That's John Bachman, uh, CBS 47, Fox 30, joined Tanika Hughes and uh, Mike Borish on the latest, which the weather hasn't been good back in Jacksonville, I don't think, either. Uh, and uh, we'll have sports from the Combine here in Indianapolis on TV side, CBS 47, Fox 30. Hey, Austin, this is a good time to bring up. Uh, we've got like two more minutes to go. Um, and then we're going to talk some tight end conversation about the Jags as well, uh, plus some other things to get to. But Stuart and I are uh, eating dinner yesterday. Sure. Uh, last night, uh, whatever. Maybe it's like around 9 o'clock. Okay. And so we go through this, like, series of questions. I, somehow, like, the Democratic debate got brought up. Okay. Can't, can't, like, can't talk about chocolate milk, but we can talk about the Democratic national debate. Let's do it. I, I didn't know we had it a couple <laughs> extra minutes. Who's gave us? Okay. <laughs> Certainly not enough time to get into tight ends. <laughs> so... This is what you call an audible. No, but please, please continue. Okay. Um, but we're not going to talk about the Democratic debate. So okay. We don't do that. Okay. But but anyway, so like, uh, yeah, I think there's a debate going on. It's like, 
oh, was it over already? Well, I don't know if it's over. It's like 9 o'clock. Yeah. Then, then like, a couple minutes later, we're talking about this coronavirus thing. Mm -hmm. And we're like, what is the coronavirus? You know, everybody talks about it. But nobody, if you read stuff on it, they never really say, well, the coronavirus is X. And so we're both like, well, what is this thing? Mm. So we don't need... So bottom line is what I'm getting to is we're we're just like not normal people. Like we don't pay attention to any of this stuff. We probably don't do our civic duties to – we couldn't tell you what the coronavirus is. We couldn't tell you who's running for president. We couldn't tell you when the Democratic – oh, the other thing is when do you vote like on the primary? Couldn't do it. We, we just we, – we we, we're like going through this series of things, yeah. and we're like – well, we can tell you who's winning the basketball game tonight. Michigan State's beating whoever. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. For sure. We live in a different world sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and by the way, it's a safe world. It is a safe world. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. a safe world. Fred, I, preach, I preach the idea of uh, ESPN 690 face masks today for the <laughs> What? <laughs> You know, like oh, a heck, not, oh to make, gosh, hey, not to make light of the whole situation. Like make a little bit of light but of it, but okay. But that is a heck of an idea, Coots. Well, um, I thought about it. Because I, what actually happened is I clicked on, like, an article, and I read this whole thing. Like, it was, like, this top five things, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Will it come to the United States? All this stuff. And... In there, I, I left the article, and it's like, I still don't know what the heck it is. Yeah. Like, you know, when you talk about pain, I'm like, is this, like, a really bad flu, or is it, like, the plague? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and and it turns out Stewart answered the question today, it's like a really bad flu, and I'm not, again, that's not take it lightly. Yeah. Um, it's a big deal. It's a big story. Heck, it's well, affecting the economy and everything, so uh, it's worldwide, but... It is amazing how sometimes, like, we talk about these things, they become these big buzzwords. Yeah. I don't even know what the heck of the root of the thing is. Dude, you want to talk about too quick and, you know, not really related, but the Democratic National uh, debate last night, um, Gail King was one of the moderators. Not going to say how good she did, but cool story about Gail King. Do you know who Gail King is, Brent? I do know who Gail okay. King is, yeah. Okay, so I, CBS, met her, yeah. I met her at a charity event at a Super Bowl in New Orleans. I was working with a food drive. Introduced me to her. She actually tried to set me up with one of her friends. <laughs> we went out on a date, and believe me when I say, no, absolutely not. It, it was it was absolutely a nightmare. And maybe I can tell the rest of the story when we come back um, well, from the following segment. Twitter, following Twitter, that was kind of some of the words that were being used as yeah. her, the moderator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, but that's all I know. I, yep. I, because here's the deal. Anytime you talk about these things, if I say one thing, you know what the next person's going to say on yeah. social media? Hey, Brent, stay in your lane. Well, listen, stay Auburn, in your lane. You're only allowed to talk sports. Listen, you can't talk anything else. And and you know what? Say, They're probably right. All I'm going to say is Gail King's friend was very nice. We went out to, uh, I think, Three Forks, whatever it was. She was a fantastic gal, but she had a lot of stuff going for her, and all I had going for me was trying to get my kill-to-death ratio up and call of duty up a little higher. So <laughs> we didn't have that much in common, man. So unfortunately, it didn't work out for anybody. Different stages of your life. Different uh, stages we'll talk, of our lives. <laughs> talk about the tight end spot for the Jacks next. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Hey, welcome back to Indianapolis, Indiana, home of the NFL Combine 2020. Uh, home of the NFL Combine quite a bit. I think there's been talk of moving this thing around, but I don't think it's moving anywhere. Indianapolis is a good little town. Uh, you wouldn't think it. Uh, it's really not, in my opinion, like it doesn't jump out at you like, wow, I love going to Indianapolis. But when you're here in this vicinity and downtown and the places to eat and walk to and all that, even when it's snowing out in 28 degrees, 
It's a good city, uh, and it makes you think of the thing I say a lot, and I think a lot of people say a lot, how the heck can they do it? And we can't do it in a beautiful place with a river and a beach in northeast Florida. and It's baffling. It just reminds you how baffling it is that, that downtown is a little better than it is. I know people are working on it. I get it. Uh, and it's it's also not as bad as it maybe used to be from an outside perspective. But uh, when you think about events being held, whether it's NFL or anything, Indianapolis is better than Jacksonville. That doesn't sound right, Austin Lane. No, because one city is in Indianapolis and the other is in Florida. <laughs> so, of course, it doesn't sound right, Brent. I mean, it sounds very it, disconcerting to me, if you ask me. It, it, you know, but the person who built, whoever's idea this was, to take Indianapolis, which is in the middle of the country, which also helps, so people can kind of convene right in the middle of the country, sure. or at least close. So that's a nice thing for them to have. But the fact that whoever thought this up is like, hey, it's cold here. There's not like a ton that is like, wow, let's go to Indianapolis, uh, and said, hey, we're going to make this into a kind of a convention town. Well, they were genius because it's worked, and they've done a great job of it. And it's they've got event after event, man. they got NFL Combine. they got the Big Ten Championship uh, in football. they got the Big Ten Championship in basketball. they got the NCAA Regionals coming. They have, uh, shoot, something else. Oh, they got like the Final Four coming in a couple of years. Cool. They've got the, I think, the college football semifinal. Uh, not the final. I think it's the semifinal coming. Oh, they got event after event after event. They're an event town. They know how to do it. Um, but just the overall idea that if you go out last night, you can go hit this spot, this spot, this spot, and it's kind of fun in Indianapolis when it's 28 degrees and <laughs> raining and snowing. Yeah. And I don't know if people say the same sometimes. I mean, that's reality. I'm not hating on – you know how I feel about it. I, I, I want them to build up downtown. But, I mean, that gives you a sense of it. That should not be the case. Uh, and it bothers me. No, I hear you, man. And, and I'll be honest, I, I've been in Indianapolis a couple of times. I, I've I've experienced the nightlife as I shared some stories. I've been out and about, and I think it's a great city. Now, maybe I'm a little biased because I grew up in Wisconsin. I grew up in the great old Midwest, so I'm used to the cold a little bit and some of those dreary days. But I think what Indianapolis has going for it, Brendan, obviously it's the downtown area, right, where everything is kind of in walking distance a little bit, where you can go to a lot of great spots and not have to worry about an Uber or, or a cab. You can just walk to them. So from that perspective, I think Indianapolis is a great city. Yeah, uh, Brent Martineau, Austin Lane uh, here, and uh, all the Ricky Carmichael fans that are jumping in on the show right now as I just watched the numbers of our show go, woof, way up. Uh (laughs) It was kind of funny. Ricky Carmichael, I think, just retweeted our earlier interview. So don't go away. You can always find us here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Uh, But for our interview with Ricky (laughs) Carmichael, it happened uh, in the first hour of the show, and you can always check it out on the Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 podcast or go back and watch the show on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and all the rest of them. uh, I say say we just call an audible and keep talking. Talking about some, you know, Supercross, man. <laughs> hey, Eli you can Tomac, do it. You know what uh, I'm saying? Eli yeah. Tomac out of nowhere, Brent. I'm telling you, this is the guy's year. <laughs> what did you say they were bringing back uh, on the on the course of the Daytona Supercross? They're going to yeah. bring back uh, the the wall and the tunnel. Yeah. So basically, what happened was, all right. So this is the 50th anniversary of the race at Daytona, right? And I, you know, I did a little due diligence, did a little searching around, and I saw that Ricky Carmichael posted, you know, of them getting the the, the course ready and everything. And he kind of had a little cryptic tweet himself. We talk about cryptic tweets all the time, and he said, "We're going to go a little old school for the 50th anniversary." So with that being 
being said when he said old school because once again I grew up watching this race and I, I played the video game that has the course and everything and referring to it being old school that means a couple things number one an old school thing would be they used to jump over the tunnel I, I forgot like what like what corner it would be on but you know like the, the, the big tunnel of Daytona they're going to jump over the, the tunnel as Ricky Carmichael said and also they're going to jump over the wall as well and one thing I didn't ask which I'm curious about as well is they used to actually have a, a, a like a portion of the track kind of blocked off for grass racing too so like it would go from dirt to grass i wonder if ricky carmichael's going to set it up this year where they're going to be on the grass a little bit as well i loved it he loved it he loved it when you were talking about it we gotta get you on a bike he said come on down right i already said how i feel about bikes man i i grew up riding a a honda 70 man a trail bike i haven't ever like ever ever anything any bigger than that and with my personality man you put me on a 250 um it's only going to end bad and it's going to be good for youtube but it's going to be bad for me yeah well listen i mean i i just don't understand sometimes you you play the nfl for five years you'll go in a cage next friday and and try to beat somebody's brains in and, and don't mind if you get hit a little bit of as course, well and man. you can't get out. It's not like they'd say stop the ride or open the cage, but <laughs> sure. like you can't get out. Yeah. And uh and and you're you won't get on a bike. I mean, I, I mean like I'll get on it, but I'm not gonna be like going off the jumps and going crazy, man. I mean yeah I'll, I'll get on and acclimate myself to it, but I think what you're picturing me doing and what I'm picturing myself doing is two completely different things. Yeah, probably the case. Uh, Well, hopefully all the Supercross fans. By the way, you can get your tickets at DaytonaInternationalSpeedway.com, and that's coming up next weekend. Uh, You can go back and watch our and listen to our interview with Ricky Carmichael. Uh, but uh, hopefully you like football, too, because we're going to talk a little football right now. We're at the NFL Combine, and the Jacksonville Jaguars need tight ends, man. Yes. Yeah, they absolutely need tight ends. I want you to listen to what Dave Caldwell, Jack's general manager, said to us yesterday when I asked him about the tight end position. Here it is. We're hoping Josh takes a jump like DJ took last year. Um, we got O'Shaughnessy coming back, and, O'Sha- and James is playing at a very high level um, before he got hurt. And if you look back at our offensive production, the, f- the first four or five games before James got hurt, he was an integral part. You remember the Denver game and doing some really nice things um, uh, at that position from James and, and from Josh, and then obviously adding some, some more pieces to that. that. But has it changed? I mean, it seems like all the teams that go deep uh, or when they have a star guy, they're well, yeah, the last the, the last final two games, you know, uh, San Francisco and Kansas City have, have two premier players there. So, yeah, and that's like any position. If you don't have that, you better have some pieces around that, whether it's receivers or, or running back or offensive line or quarterback that can make up for that. Yeah. Uh, that's Dave Caldwell talking about it. Now, listen, I, I, I get what he's saying there. Uh, but keep in mind, too, and I didn't, I didn't have time to keep going and, and show them all the evidence, but we've done this on the show before. The evidence is if you take the last three, four years, and maybe even beyond, and you factor in the Patriots and the Minnesota Vikings and, and obviously the Chiefs and those kind of teams, uh, how they utilize the tight the Eagles, how they utilize the tight end these last few years, it's not just the Super Bowl. It's getting to the Final Four. It's getting making deep playoff runs. And, again, I will say this. Even the Jags in 17, they got the most production out of the tight end spot they had had in about a decade when Mercedes Lewis had five touchdown catches. Now, I wouldn't call him a weapon in their offense, but he did have five touchdown catches. So 
the tight end is has become that important. And I understand what he's saying is, hey, if you if you don't have that star tight end, well, you got to be able to do it in other positions. Okay. Well, the Jags don't do it well enough in other positions to be able to hide the vacancy they have at the tight end spot. And when it comes to production, they don't have the quarterback that will hide that. They don't have this stud wide receiver. Say like a Cleveland, like as Landry and also Odell Beckham Jr. They don't have that. They don't have this dynamic running game with a mixture of backs. They have a pounded running game in Leonard Fournette. So they either have to find that other stuff and hope for that other stuff, or they really have to hope Josh Oliver (laughs) takes that step. And that's a dangerous thing to hope for, because if it comes up empty, well, then you're done. You're done at the tight end spot. So what they need to do, Austin, is address it. And they need to find it in free agency and take a chance, uh, whether it's Hunter Henry or Austin Hooper, one of those guys. They need to address it, I think, in the draft regardless or undrafted free agency. It's not a deep draft here at the Combine in the draft for tight ends like it was last year. But the middle rounds can find you tight ends, and you can make them into something if you're patient. The other option is to trade for one. I mean, could Hayden Hurst or one of those kind of guys, could you make a run at somebody uh, if uh, if the price was right? Uh, would you be willing to do it? I don't care how you do it. My point is you have to do it, and you have to find it. If you want to be a a prolific offense, if you want to be a dangerous offense, I think the the trend shows you have to have a tight end that's a weapon. No, well, absolutely. Especially, you know, we're talking about Gruden's offense here, Brent, right? Because Jordan Reed was that guy. Unfortunately, Jordan Reed couldn't stay healthy, so what do they do? They go after Vernon Davis, you know? And I get it, you know, towards the end of his career with the Redskins, because I think he is retired now. Um, you know, he's, he's on the back nine of his career, and he was never really copied that production that he captured in San Francisco. But at the end of the day, the guy still ran a 4-3, 40-yard dash at the combine. So I don't care if you're 36 years old or you're 50 years old. That's still pretty impressive, I think, from a tight end perspective. So, you know, Gruden loves to use the tight end. And I think if you look at it with Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell, where you have to win this season, the last thing I want to do, and no offense to Josh Oliver, we'll see what he's capable of, but I'm not going to hedge all my bets on hoping that, you know, essentially a rookie tight end is going to you know lead the tight end group and catches i'm just i'm not going to do it i hope josh oliver comes along i hope josh oliver produces but i'm not going to put all my chips with him so that's where free agency comes in brent like you said because the last thing i'm going to do as well is spend a high draft pick on a tight end when i need a go-to one this season so it's like you said maybe you can go after the hunter henry's the austin hoopers or like you said possibly maybe a hayden hirsch something like that but to me it's, it's definitely the, the top priority of free agency right now for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it's something that the Jaguars need to do to be successful with Gruden's offense. Yeah, I'm looking at a guy right here to my left uh, from the Bucks. I'm thinking about trading a segment away here on the show for O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, and listen, I'm, I'm kind of a little biased. That's how, hey, that's towards, how desperate we are. Well, I know. And you know what? And I don't want to say we're that desperate because I'm, I'm still a little bitter about Jenna Lane from Tampa Bay who said that O.J. Howard is going to have a big year in fantasy for me. That couldn't have been any farther from the truth. Enter Cameron Bray. But no, I, obviously I still think O.J. Howard, he has a lot to offer. He's definitely that big body. And let's be honest, Brent, like, yeah, so you want a tight end that can stretch the field, obviously, and you want a tight end that can go up and get the ball. But what you want a tight end for, too, and that's what the Chiefs have, this is what the 49ers have, is a guy in the red zone who's going to be dependable, right, who's going to have those mismatches. And especially last year, you know, and whether it was more of the play calling of John Filippo or the lack of a tight end, but the, the, the red zone offense last year for the Jaguars was absolutely atrocious. And I think if you can actually add a decent to good tight end in the red zone, man, it's only going to make things that much easier for you. 
Yeah, uh, real quick, uh, we get Jared Rice in from the Players' Championship. We're two weeks away, believe it or not. Uh, but you've got Austin Hooper. You have Hunter Henry. Uh, I've said guys like Eric Ebron, uh, you know, uh, when we did our free agency class. But who would you, if you really had a chance to get anyone you wanted? Yep. What? How would you rank the list uh, of, you know, the, really it's Hooper or Henry, right? I mean, that's yeah. the list. Yeah, I mean, listen, and with all due respect to Eric Ebron, um, you know, he definitely had a down season last year, and a lot of it was kind of unexplainable. You know, I think yeah. even the, the Colts staff was kind of like, I don't know what's going on with Ebron. That's I mean, why I'd go well, for him. It'll be cheaper. Well, and, and obviously losing Andrew Luck was a big deal as well, but I thought Jacoby Brissett, you know, played up to a pretty good competition. So, yeah, to me it's between Hunter Henry and Austin Hooper. And if it's me, and I get it, I'm taking a risk here. But once again, anytime you sign a guy in free agency, you're essentially taking a little bit of a risk. I'm going Hunter Henry over Austin Hooper all day. Um, obviously, wow. obviously, Surprises the, me, man. obviously, the injury history concerns you a little bit. But a what, little? Okay, obviously, like I said, the injury history concerns you a little bit. From Hunter Henry's perspective, man, what that guy is able to do, you, you can split him out wide. You can put him in the slot. You obviously put him on the line. He's a great blocker. He's obviously a great pass catcher. And when he's healthy, I think he's a top five tight end. No offense to Austin Hooper, who obviously has, he's had a pretty good career himself. But I think Austin Hooper's had to rely more on, you know, having Julio Jones on the field, you know, having Calvin Ridley on the field and him being kind of that third option all the time when it's Austin Hooper's time to shine as a go-to receiver I'm not sure how dependable he is I know Hunter Henry's dependable so that's why I lean more towards Hunter Henry I think it's really just protecting the brand you don't want too many Austins in town that, that. <laughs> that too man that too well, <laughs> think... was there Austin Calitro right was it he? Right. Yeah, man, way too many Austins. Way too many Austins. With all due respect to Calitro, I think your brand's okay with that. Oh, one. wow. <laughs> uh, by the way, I'll say, Hunter Henry, which you, you seriously, though, you have to be careful when you're spending big bucks and probably overpaying on a position like that and has injury history. You really, I, I would just have to be really careful with that uh, because that could be just a. A dead-end investment for you. Well, I mean, that's what history... I don't want the history... I'm not trying to buck a trend yeah. in free agency. The trend in free agency that you're going to swing and miss most likely anyway. Yeah. But then here's the question, though, Brent. Okay, so you have the Atlanta Falcons, right? You have Matt Ryan on his back nine. You have Julio Jones on his back nine. And you have a team that needs to win right now. So if that's the case, then... And I get it. You have, you have some young guys with Calvin Ridley and guys you know, coming along as well. And you have Freeman at running back still. But if that's the case and you're kind of in this win-now moment, then why do the Atlanta Falcons tell Austin Hooper to essentially hit the road? Yeah, fair point. You know, that's Hey, it's a great point, and it's another one that you always have to look into. Yeah. You know, because, why are they saying it's okay, right? Of uh, course. Easily in the same way. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, yeah. why are they saying, okay, we'll let you walk? Exactly, because at least, at least with Hunter Henry, we know, yes, Philip Rivers is gone, right? They're probably kind of rebuilding on everything like that. So I can see Hunter Henry going on the market, right? Because they have to address other issues and everything like that. And right now, it doesn't make sense to keep them for the cost. But once again, I'll echo it again. Why are they letting go of Austin Hooper? If he's really that good of a tight end, and, you know, obviously the tight end position is coveted, especially in that offense where it's Matt Ryan throwing the ball all the time. Why do you get rid of him? You have to ask Very that question. question. Yeah, fair question. Let's ask some questions about the Players' Championship right now. Jared Rice joins us, Executive Director of the Players' Championship. Sorry to leave you hanging and uh, waiting right there, but we were deep into a tight end conversation. <laughs> uh, no, Jared I, I, I Rice. Like it. I like I, I, Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I get I got all caught up. I love calling a little early and uh, hearing all the, the back and forth. Very, uh, very 
informational. I appreciate hearing that. <laughs> hey, thanks for hanging on. We're going to give away some players' tickets and Firehouse Subs gift card uh, close to my heart uh, after, of course, the 17th hole challenge, charity challenge, just a couple weeks ago, and uh, they took home $12,000, which was really cool, uh, for their charity at Firehouse Subs. All right, man. I'm not going to say the hay is in the barn, because it's never done. As we say in TV, the show is never over. It's Even if you're about to walk out there, it's never fully over. You never know what's about to happen. But uh, you're getting darn close. You're two weeks away. We, we are down to it. When um, you see on the PGA Tour schedule that there's only a couple of more tournaments before this, uh, that, you know, that, that screen on your web page gets a little shorter, it, it's real. And so we've had a uh, number of partners in town and, um, you know, checking out their space that our proud partners in. We've had uh, players come through town. Jason Day was even here today uh, working around the golf course a little bit, even in uh, the inclement weather. So it's, again, just another sign uh, that uh, we're, we're that much closer. So it'll be here before we know it. I'm in Indianapolis, but it's uh, and it's snowing here, so <laughs> uh, I don't have to tell you about the weather. But I don't think the weather's been great in Jacksonville. There's been a lot of rain this week. Uh, is that good? Is that okay? Uh, two weeks ahead, uh, do they like that? What's the situation with all the the wet weather we're getting in Northeast Florida? Well, I'd certainly prefer it today than during tournament week. So I would say yeah. from that perspective, it's it's good, but. Um, you know, clearly, I think for 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 the conditions that uh, better to have it now, and we've got some we've got some really nice weather planned for the next uh, next week or so. It's going to be a little cool tomorrow, but um, the team has got you know, putting everything against getting the course in, in great conditions. We had uh, some partners in from Minnesota and Boston. Um, you know, beyond the fact that even it was a little bit. Yeah, a little bit overcast and rainy today. It was still a lot better than uh, you know, shoveling where, where you are. But um, they, they were remarking just how green and how uh, amazing the, the course looks. And we've gotten some nice nice response and feedback from the players that have come through. So, yeah, we're in the Florida swing. It's, uh, it's Honda, then Arnold Palmer Invitational uh, down in Orlando. And we're, we're well into preparing for you know, early arrivals, player registration, and all the – all the details that go along with getting the the best golfers golfers in the world here, and um, it's it's a it's a great week, and we're really excited about uh, getting the competition started. It'll be fun. Well, Jared, you said it too. You know, it's going to be cooler tomorrow, and it seems like the past couple weeks here, the temperatures have been up and down. And I get the rain can make a difference, but as far as like the temperatures constantly fluctuating, I mean, does that make it kind of hard on your job as well? Other precautions that you guys have to take with the temperatures going up and down all the time. Well, what we did uh, going back a few years, we moved to an overseeded golf course. So moving to a, a obviously a, a spring date or an early spring date for us allowed the, the tournament to be in it was called overseed. So essentially, we plant cold weather grass over warm weather grass that is dormant. So um, from that perspective, you know th- those variables are. I mean, it's not great. You like to have consistency from the growing conditions, but um, you know the, the, that we're prepared for these cooler temperatures. It's not like we're trying to. You know, grow something that's supposed to be warm in a cool climate. So, so that's good. And I also think as you look forward to the competition, that with a March date, that was again the original vision of when the tournament was going to be held. And you know, seeing three seasons in three days in March is kind of what Northeast Florida is about. And from a competitive perspective, that's that that puts that much more more pressure of the elements on um, what is the you know best athletes at what they do in the world coming to our hometown. So, um, you know, 
I wouldn't mind a little bit of wind, a little bit of cool, some <laughs> couple of 75 degree days. Uh, you know, just you want to throw everything at them. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's really it's cool when it's like that too. Uh, it, it, when you do have a little bit different. Uh, of course, we'd love 75 every single day too. That would be fine. Of course. But uh, when the players get the true test and, and all three of those seasons, as you mentioned, it's not a bad thing from a tournament uh, standpoint. By the way, I don't know how you feel about me and style. I don't know if you'd want me to pick out your outfits daily, uh, Jared Rice. I sure as heck wouldn't pick out Austin's. Uh, but I can pick out someone who's listening, and uh, all you have to do is go to ESPN690.com, and next Friday I'll be over there at the Players' Championship, and you could win a spot as well, and I get to dress you. Now, not physically. I'm picking out your outfit. I'm not dressing anybody physically um, until I really have to do something like that. But uh, anyway, we're having a fun little thing uh, with the Players' Championship, so uh, we'll be out there next Friday. Go to ESPN690.com. You can register uh, for that. And we've talked about it before with Jared. as so many different uh, styles and styles that represent Northeast Florida, and it's one of the best part of the Players Championship, at least for me. I'm a sucker for it now. I go to that store a couple times during the week, and I'm dropping a couple hundred dollars probably for the family uh, inside that store. So uh, you can win a, a, a freebie, and I just have to pick out your outfits. Uh, so that's on ESPN690.com. Uh, Jared, what about the field? When will we know the the full field? Uh, for this event, when's the that that deadline? It's obviously approaching. Yeah, so the deadline is the Friday before the tournament, um, which is, is is customary for for PGA Tour events, and we really do just in light of the status of the tournament and the stature of it that we expect anyone and everyone who's healthy to to participate. Um, and you know, there's um, you know, I think it's it stands to reason that uh, I mean that's what we've experienced the last uh, I mean as far as I've been involved with the tournament, and this year would be no different. Um, yeah, you look at the the field this year. We've got um, you know Rory's in the field. I mean, they've again. You'd expect to hear these names, but Rory and and uh, Phil have committed, and Justin Rose and Adam Scott who just won. Bubba Watson will be here. Gary Woodland, Dustin Johnson, uh, Sergio, uh, you know Bryson, the you know Matt Kuchar, Brooks Kepka. Uh, has recently been on the front of GQ. So um, again, we we expect everyone who is who is healthy and and ready to compete uh, to be here. Yeah, and obviously you didn't list Tiger Woods, but I think there's an expectation Tiger Woods will be here uh, as well at the Players' Championship in Ponte Vedra. Uh, but you have until the Friday before to get in, and I think uh, it's pretty standard. Tiger usually waits until about then to fully commit uh, to the Players' Championship, so yeah. uh, we'll see what happens there. I know parking is, continues to be a big push for you guys. Uh, parking passes are required every single day. Just remind folks that's a little bit different than in the past, Jared, and uh, how much do you... That can really cause havoc, you know, on traffic and everything else when people don't know what's going on with the parking. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a key point for this year. And um, you know, again, we're expecting a, a great week all around, ton of activities. You know, kicking off the week with the chain smokers, closing out Military Appreciation Day on Tuesday. Uh, and one of the reasons why we moved to mobile tickets, day specific tickets, and asking um, fans to or. or um, Moving to a policy where you have to have a parking pass every day is so that we can be better prepared uh, for when you're coming. That may seem pretty obvious, but we um, you know, that that hadn't been the case in the past when we had some you know, things like our weekly tickets. We never knew which days you were using until you showed up, and by then it might have been too late. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a reason why we're doing this. So we're asking the community, your listeners, if you're planning to come out, uh, make sure you have a parking pass Tuesday through Sunday. If you're planning to come out. Um, go online, theplayers.com, secure your tickets, get those squared away. 
Uh, they'll be emailed to you, so you'll have them right then and there. You put them in your mobile wallet, and you can be booked for the week in the next five minutes if you wanted. So uh, there's no time like the present. Um, you know, we are expecting big crowds, and um, you know, a, a real possibility of reaching capacities, especially on Friday and Saturday. So if you're planning on coming, there's there's no need uh, to wait any longer. Uh, make your plans, make your commitments, and that'll put us in the best possible position for success from an operation perspective. All right, uh, Jared Rice, good message, and uh, we'll continue to share that message. Of course, we'll be live at the Players' Championship in a couple weeks all week long. We're looking forward to it. Keep up the good work, man. We'll run into you next week, uh, and then uh, we're well, the countdown is fully on. Have a good night. Appreciate it. See you soon. All right. Uh, by the way, right now we're going to give away uh, four Players' Championship tickets and also a $25 gift card to Firehouse Subs. And here's what you got to do. I'm making you work a little bit more for this now. 904-362-9901 or star star 690. Uh, we'll see if Austin can spit out the answer when we come back. Don't do it now, Austin. That would give it away, especially okay. if you know it. Yep. I'm a little concerned folks might not be able to get this one, so we may have to even play closest to coups. We'll see what we get. <clears throat> when was the first player's championship at TPC Sawgrass? Yeah, I don't know this one. Uh, I'm going to give you a hint. It was in the 80s. Hmm. There's your hit. 904-362-9901. Again, when it was <laughs> at TPC choice. Sawgrass, okay? Is that when it went there? Uh, when was the first one? 904-362-9901. Four tickets to the Players' Championship. $25 gift card to Firehouse Subs. you got to earn it today, folks. we got to earn the last half hour as well. Hope you stay listening. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We're live at the NFL Combine. More Jags talk. Plus a little ball it and fall it right after this. I think we'll go out there for 10 days. You know, I think it's going to be obviously a challenge for the players and the coaches. And, you know, we're looking at things first and foremost to make sure our players are, are good. You know, we've been talking about looking at investigating, you know, making things, you know, right right for our players. Knowing that, it, you know, it's a challenge. I mean, a lot of teams will go to the West Coast, you know, play two games on the West Coast from the East Coast and stay out, you know, 10 days. And, you know, we've been talking to a couple teams, you know, that, that have done that to see what they've done. All right, that's Doug Marone talking about the London logistics. Uh, I, I think it's interesting because we hadn't heard from Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, about the London stuff. And obviously it was a huge talker and should be a huge talker. It's, it's died down to a degree. It really hasn't been much to add to it. But that week, Shad Khan had mentioned that he doesn't think it's a competitive disadvantage. Well, we entirely disagree. Uh, we've given you the numbers that back it up that it's cer- certainly not an advantage and it could look more like a competitive disadvantage. I would say the Jaguars, in terms of Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone, acknowledged that it's a challenge. That is the word they use. So there is that. <laughs> they know that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think at least they under, they're they not trying to trick anybody. Um, you got to be a little careful in their spot, too. They don't want to just totally say what the owner you know, didn't say, or so they got to be a little careful. I, I get it, but they did say it was a challenge. And now, how do you do it? The, the The reality is, from a football standpoint, they are doing it. They're going to play two home games in London, and you know, the fan angst is one thing. Doug Marone's job is to win those football games. And Correct. again, we can talk about if it's competitive advantage or not. The bottom line is, they're playing it. Uh, you know, if it was on the moon, you got to play it there because it's on the schedule there. So. I think uh, it it is an interesting deal now how they move on. You know, I'm not sure the fans are moving on. I'm not sure everybody outside is moving on. I think this will continue to be an issue and a storyline. But 
I think inside that building, they do have to move on from it and say, okay, now how do we make it work? And I thought he brought up a good point as we welcome you back to the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Brent Morton here, Action Sports Jacks, Austin Lane, uh, back in the studio. By the way, did you come up with the year of TPC Sawgrass, first uh, Players' Championship? Uh, it's in the 80s now. Don't guess 78 or 92, okay? Okay, yep. I was leaning more towards, like, 85. Not bad. 82 ah. uh, is the year. It was across the street at Sawgrass Country Club oh. prior to that. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, okay, I got you. <laughs> yep. But, uh, sense. but anyway, so as I bounce around here, uh, you know, he brought up a good point that the Jags have done this before. And nobody was like, oh, my gosh, how are they going to ever win? <laughs> it's yes. still challenging. When I'm talking about the going on the West Coast, they went to the West Coast, and, and we made that trip with them. Uh, I don't think that was your t- – yeah, it would have been like 14 maybe. So – they went to Oakland, stayed there for the week, and played a game there, and then went to Seattle. And, and they just played the week. They went to the weekend in Seattle, so they didn't stay in Seattle. They stayed the whole weekend in the Oakland area, the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they've done it before. Now, they were terrible at the time, so that didn't help anything. Um, I might argue they might not be great now. But the bottom line is people do it. People play away from home two weeks in a row and sometimes a long way away from home, and they have the challenge of the time change and other things. Now, this is a bit different. You're on a different continent, and it's a bit more of a time change. But I like at least the way he's kind of putting it out there and say, hey, people have done this before. Like, the whole thing is the Jags were the first ones to ever do it, right, in London. The first one to go home game, home game, and first to play two uh, internationally, all that stuff. And they are right. But I think from his point of view, to say to the players, hey, people have done this before. You know, sometimes people do it intentionally. Sometimes there will be back-to-back trips for a West Coast team out to the East Coast, and they'll intentionally stay on the East Coast so they don't have to make the trip twice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's a good way to at least put it and frame it and at least get in that state of mind and wrap your arms around it because I think we all know, Austin, it's not a competitive advantage. No, absolutely not. And another thing to keep in mind, too, and I I get it. We've kind of heard both sides of the spectrum. We had Allen Robinson on um at the Super Bowl, you know, where he talked about how he doesn't see it as a big disadvantage of trying to recruit free agents. I, on the other hand, think it is a little bit of a disadvantage, especially free agents who are a little more seasoned in the league, obviously, who have spent some time in the league. So, like, we look at guys like, obviously, the tight end position. If you look at Hunter Henry, Austin Hooper right now, obviously, with what you have right now on a roster and what you have just, you know, as a team and organization, you probably have to overpay a little bit to get those guys there. And one has to ask... With those two games in London, do you have to overpay even more to try to coax them into playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Yeah, it's interesting. You know what, man? I was talking to somebody recently about the whole tax implication stuff, and I, honestly, I'm not, I don't know a lot about it. But it was really interesting that somebody said that Jacksonville, Houston, and Tennessee are the best places to play in the league mm-hmm. if you want to bring in tax implications. So it, it kind of erases some of the, oh, no, London, and, and every, oh, my gosh, why would you come to Jacksonville? Like, people... Players think about it like they really do, especially free agents, and depending on how big a deal is. But, I mean, heck, you're going to pay so many more taxes in in California than you would in Jacksonville or Houston or uh, uh, Tennessee. And the meaning is not federal taxes, but state taxes. And sometimes there are city taxes involved on top of the state taxes. Mm. Well, those three teams don't have that. Now, there are other teams, Miami, Tampa, of course, but some people say it's the best thing to do is play in the AFC South because – what happens is, I didn't realize this part, Austin, that you take the the team, so when you file your taxes at the end, you got to pay the tax that's bigger. So if you are, uh, let's see, if you're the Jags, 
and you go to what's the one Indianapolis uh well you're even though you're employed in in Jacksonville in the, they you you pay the Indianapolis state tax but when you go to Houston and when you go to Tennessee well there is no state tax so yeah. you don't have to pay anything there so i found that interesting or if you're coming outside uh if you're Oakland well, no longer Oakland say you're Indianapolis for the Jacks if you're coming to Jacksonville well, you don't pay no state income tax. You have to pay the higher of the two. Correct. So Indianapolis still gets taxed coming well, to play a game in the state of Florida, yeah. which is interesting. So the three teams that it's best to play for, <laughs> really from a tax standpoint, are the Jaguars, are the Titans, and the Texans. Yeah, and essentially, I mean, depending where you play, but obviously, so the way it's set up is six games, like for instance, in Jacksonville. So you play six games, well, well, it's going to be six games this season, so you play six games at home, so that's not going to be any, you know, tax from that standpoint. But then, obviously, I'm not sure, like, how it translates to playing over London and how much the tax will be. I think it's like what we talked about before on the show. I want to say it's anywhere from 17 to 20%, which is a lot. But from the same standpoint, usually, Brett, you're talking about half your games, you don't pay the state tax, but the other half, obviously, you go with the more expensive, depending where you're playing, you do have to pay the tax. So I get what you're saying. There definitely is an advantage to play in spots like Jacksonville, but overall, half your paychecks are still probably going to get taxed. Yeah, and it's a, listen, we're getting deep into numbers. I just am telling you, I didn't realize that you take the the higher of the two. And so, therefore, it's really looked at as the AFC South is a good division to play in for a pending free agent. If you really care about the dollars, like if how much you're going to tax and all those things, if you're really dialed into that, and some players are, well, then those three teams are good teams to play for because you're not going to get that 10% or 8% or 7% state income tax that so many other states and so many other cities and franchises uh, will have. Uh, beyond the numbers part of that, uh, one other thing before we get to Bowen and Fallen. And, Coos, I don't know if you have this dialed up, but it, it's a it's a quote from Doug Marone about the energy in the building versus the outside noise. And I wanted to get to this today, so let's just finish up on, on this for a couple minutes. The outside noise is bad, right? It, it, this has to do a little bit with the London stuff uh, and what we're talking about. The outside noise on London, the outside noise from Jalen Rams, the outside noise losing, the outside noise on uh, signing Blake Bortles to Nick Foles to all this stuff. And who knows what the outside noise is going to sound like, uh, depending on what happens with Jan, Calais Campbell, A.J. Boyer, the like, mm-hmm. who, who uh, Doug Marone picks a quarterback. What I found interesting in the last couple of days is Doug Marone went out of his way to say that there's a positive energy inside the building. And i got to be honest with you, Austin. I was like, how can there be an honest, uh, a, 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 a good energy in the building? Mm-hmm. I mean, how can they not feel all this? How can they not see all this? And I thought you'd be good to describe that because you, you do try to block the noise out. Social media makes it more difficult. But can you separate? Can you separate going to the grocery store as a player or a coach or somebody involved with the organization and wearing the last six to eight months or even, shoot, 12 years versus when you hit that key code and go into Jags headquarters and can't wait to get after it, yeah. whether it's an off-season day, an OTA day, a game day. Uh, and I was trying to put myself in that position, and and I guess you just got to build that wall. Do you get used to doing that? Is, is that a hard thing to do? And is it reality, or do you have to fake it? So, okay, so from the first standpoint, you know, of Doug Marone saying that he feels, you know, there's good energy there. Well, of course there is, right? Because you're coming off a, a horrible season, your job's on the line. Your record come out and say, yeah, 
going to be honest with you, the energy sucks in the building right now. It's not good. Like, you know, and I don't know if he's being, I mean, I'm sure he's being genuine, right? But obviously you, you have to say those type of things to try to, you know, rally your guys around um, in that stadium a little bit. So I'm not surprised he said that. Now, getting to the standpoint of the players and, and, and do you hear it and do you feel it? It's so funny, Brent, because like in an NFL locker room, it seems like whether it will, especially when you're losing, which let's be honest, man, I was, I was a part of a lot of those seasons, um, you're in this bubble, right? And you, you only allow the distractions to dictate, I guess, how you feel if you go out and search for them. For instance, back when I played, you know, like Twitter was kind of on the come up a little bit, right? Like, wasn't, yeah, it just started. It, it wasn't the big thing like it is now. Nowadays, man, players can type in their names and see, you know, 200 tweets about, you know, people just, whatever, saying bad things or good things about them. So the, the, or they can tweet, next stop, dot, dot, dot. Of course. So, so <laughs> check your flag, dot, dot, dot. So that, you know, it, it's always out there at the fingertips if they want to search for it, right? Um, I think back even when I played, I say because it's like so long ago. I mean, you were talking like seven, eight years ago. But I think back in the, and when I played in those locker rooms that I shared, Brent, I don't think any of those guys in the locker locker room try to search for that kind of stuff right because it was worse enough that we were losing already so one would think that whether we turn on the radio to hear you probably bad mouthing me or True. whether whether you turn on the tv you know and see some of the highlight just like we knew what was you know at stake and we knew what was up because we weren't performing well but like i said we almost we almost surrounded ourselves in this protective bubble and I go back to Coach Malarkey back in, it would have been uh, 2012, that would have been that year. And with Coach Malarkey, listen, we won two games that entire season. So obviously it, it was hard to go to work every single day. Guys were down. You know, guys were a little depressed because we weren't winning ball games, man. That's, that's why you play the game of football. But I'll say this about Coach Malarkey. Usually when a team wins two games, Brent, you hear about these fights in the locker room. You hear about players attacking the media. You just hear about the snowball effect of just this negativity going on in your organization. And even though we only won two games back in 2012, Mike Malarkey made sure that that didn't happen. Okay? It, it was almost like we were the closest bunch of, you know, tight-knit losers, I guess you would call us, that, that well, I'm being honest, that, that they can't ever imagine, right? Like, we, we won two games, but I think it was a testament to Malarkey and his staff where we, it never felt like, man, like, oh, here we go. You know, like, we, we still looked forward, I think, for the most part, to showing up every single other. Now, yeah, there were downsides. We had to talk to the media, obviously. You guys were there, and that's never fun when you're losing. But overall, I thought the environment that we had back in 2012, man, all things considered, I thought Coach Mark did a great job of, you know, at least keeping the team morale up as much as possible. All right, hey, yeah, let's listen to Doug Marone talk about it, and then we got to do quick ball and a phone to get out of here. Here's Doug Marone yesterday. It has been great, um, you know, communication, not only with just the, the coaches and the scouts, but really within the whole building. And I think that, you know, that's the one thing that I've seen that's that's that, that's really going in a positive direction. There's a lot of challenges in our building. You know, it's an older building. There's a lot of walls. There's a lot of doors. I mean, you know, you guys see it all the time. We got to kind of get you through that maze sometimes, you know. And then if Tad's in a good mood, he'll let you cut through, you know. But I think I think those things are challenges to us. So you know, our goal has been to play. Let's knock down these walls. Let's break this down. Let's make sure we're communicating. And then my my thing, and you know, I I was able to speak to people, you know, on the business side and people that run the 
you know, the stadium or do security. I wanted to make sure that I touched everyone um, that had something to do with with our product on the field, with our players. I touched our players to make sure that they understand that, hey, listen, um, this is one team. I mean, we're one team, and we need everyone pulling in the right direction. You know, if hey, if the grass is too long and the players don't like it, that's a problem. If the mail's not delivered, that's a problem. Don't look at yourself as that you're not part of, you know, helping us be able to win. You know, we're, this is our team. We're in it together. Open door. And um, I just wanted to make sure everyone knew that. That's Doug Marone, and, and I get it. I think that's a good idea. I think it's a good idea to do that, Austin. And we'll see if it uh, it benefits his football team and the whole mode. He also did say later, he said, Jay Gruden, and the, there's this positive energy because that guy's got some energy. And so you want energy guys around you. We heard earlier today from J.P. Finley, who covered the Redskins, about that energy, that fun. Can you bring fun into the building? Can you bring fun to Jacksonville Jaguars football? Well, certainly Jay Gruden maybe can infuse some of that. We know Gardner Minshew has a chance to infuse some of that. Hey, we got to run in about a minute. Uh, balling and falling, what you got? Balling real quick. Well, for, first of all, a ball and honorable mentions going out to my mom. She texted me last night, obviously listened to our show. Probably wasn't the <laughs> biggest fan that I said we had to call Child Protective Services on her for taking me to Michael Bolton back-to-back years. <laughs> what I didn't mention and what she reminded me to mention was the fact that the second time I went, I actually got a game-used John Jaha bat of the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes, ah, John, John Jaha. Jaha. Which, Very which, good pull. Which is the most Wisconsin name of all time. Now, to be fair, did John Jaha get arrested then for drunk driving, hurt his ankle, and get cut from the Milwaukee Brewers? Yeah, he really did. So you know what? I think it's a wash, Mom. No child protective services for you. Thank you for the baseball bat. I appreciate it. So Mom How did is, you get a Jaha bat at a bowling concert? So, dude, it's like I talked about yesterday. So <laughs> be, before the concert, it was Michael Bolton's team taking on the, the Green Bay Packers in a softball <laughs> charity event. So I John you. Jaha was the, I think he was a DH or a first baseman for the Bolton Bombers. Uh, very good. Yeah. Uh, all right, quick okay. call. St. So, John's Country Day, by the way, for me. Uh, oh, yeah. you can finish yours in a minute. St. John's Country Day won a state championship. Uh, ninth in a row. That's a dynasty. Uh, Bowles and Carrollton tied at halftime. We'll have more of that tonight. CBS 47 and Fox 30. Bishop Kenny plays later tonight in the state championship game. Carry on. All right, my quick balling goes out to the greatest soundbite in bowling history. Happened eight years ago, and we're celebrating the anniversary today. Compliments of Pete Weber. Coos hit me with it. Strike to claim it. A strike to claim it. And he got it! And keep in mind, everybody listening at home, he was doing this rocking a pair of shades in a bowling event. Enough said. Shout out to Pete Weber. He's always balling. I saw that on social media. That's great stuff. Uh, Falling for me, uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Did you see he's uh, going, maybe missed the opener uh, because of a uh, calf injury? Yankees yeah. are struggling with injuries to start the year. I, and Listen, I'm a Red Sox guy, so I don't like, I like the Yankees. But you, you like to see teams healthy. I mean, they put this thing together. They are not healthy at all. So if you're a Yankees fan, you're falling right now, at least at the start of the baseball season. Uh, my falling real quick, and we should probably talk about it some more on uh, uh, tomorrow on the show, but Seminole High School baseball coach was fired over, um, I guess, basically his post-game celebration. Uh, A player recorded it. He had some choice words, obviously some some bad language, but overall, man, I think, you know, I'll show you some more thoughts about it tomorrow, but you see this kind of language on TV all the time and YouTube videos. I think he was wrongly fired, but we can talk about it tomorrow. Great conversation for tomorrow. I want to talk about it. We'll do that. Make sure we bring that up, especially with all the high school stuff going on right now and people winning state championships uh, from the area. Now you have to watch what you say after winning a state championship, even in the high school ranks. Uh, something to be careful of. Uh, we'll talk about that. All right, man, that will do it from the NFL Combine here for us. I'll be back in studio tomorrow. And uh, for Coos and Stuart Weber here, 
Austin Lane as well. Thanks to Ricky Carmichael for joining us. I'm Brent Martineau. We'll see you on TV in just a little bit, CBS 47 and Fox 30. Have a good night. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.